Hey freaks, happy Friday. My name is Alyssa Canova and this is a podcast called Freaks and Shrieks where I talk about some horror movies that I watched the past week. And I got to tell you, I was feeling a little bad because the past two weeks I just talked about one movie each week and that's not really what we agreed to. Um, So this week to make up for it, I watched six movies for you. Yeah, I watched all six installments of the Scream franchise. Um, One of my favorite, probably my favorite franchise of all time. The only thing that I, you know, keep going back to watch the sequels for, even though there are this many. But I got to tell you, it was a quick turnaround between Scream, aka Scream 5, and Scream 6. And I really wasn't ready for that um, because the last time they did that was Scream 1 and Scream 2. And frankly, I didn't like Scream, aka Scream 5. Um, I just, it didn't hit for me. And my relationship with Scream, so the first Scream I ever saw was actually Scream 4. It came out in 2011. I saw it in theaters with my dad and my sister. And me and my sister were huge chickens. My sister even more so than me, but it got me. Like, I'm, serial killers are the, are my, you know, fear. Um, because it's so real. You know, Kristen Bell at the beginning of that movie puts it best. Like, it could really happen, and that's why it's so scary. And also, but, like, I slept in my sister's bed that night because I was so scared. But it was also, like, the whole thing of the movie is it's all about misdirection and you never know who you can trust and the killer could be right next to you and it's like what if my sister turns over and stabs me that is the impact that this movie had on me I was traumatized but I also loved it (laughs) and so um I don't know if Scream 4 is one of my favorites because it's the first one I saw or if it's the one or if it's one of my favorites because it's so perfectly um I don't know. I think it wrapped up the franchise pretty well, and I kind of wish it had, uh, you know, died with Scream 4. Um, but, uh, you know, the original Scream, you can't beat that. Like, the original Scream is in, you know, my top 10 favorite movies of all time. I just think it's, I just think it's mwah, Chef's Kiss perfect. Um, so let's talk about them. So the original four screams were directed by a horror icon, Wes Craven. And the first three were written by Kevin Williamson. And since then, he hasn't been a writer. They're just, you know, they credit him as a writer because they use the characters that he created, but he's not writing for it anymore. Kevin Williamson is also the writer of Dawson's Creek. And I'll point out some parallels as we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so let's let's set the scene. Or actually, okay. The thing about Scream is it's incredibly meta. It's all about homage to the genre while also um, making fun of it, pointing out its flaws and its faults. But also, like, usually if a character in the movie is talking about how much they hate horror or how stupid and derivative it is these days, um, they're about to get attacked by a freak who is obsessed with horror. And so that's kind of what we're dealing with. Um, And with every movie, you know, in the first movie, we famously get the rules to survive a horror movie. And then the next one, we get the rules to survive a sequel. And then the next one, we get the rules to survive a trilogy. And in the next one, we get (laughs) rules. Um, Actually, the fourth movie isn't really big on the rules. It's just kind of, it's very much a screamake, as they say. (laughs) Um, Another thing about these movies is they'll have fun rules like that. Like, instead of just sequel, we'll also have requels and we'll have screamakes 
and then you know by the time we get to six we're dealing with franchise um so there's rules for surviving (laughs) each of those situations but um the rules for surviving a scream movie just you know like i said it's constant misdirection the whole time you're trying to figure out who the killer is but the movie is also pointing you in the wrong direction. So you kind of like take every clue with a grain of salt because it will clue you into who the right killer is, but it'll also, you know, clue you into a bunch of red herrings. The second rule is that there are always two killers, but of course that has an asterisk. It has a caveat in one of the Scream movies. It is, it is only one killer. Um, throughout the movie, one of the killers will be directly like accused by someone of being the killer. Um, and all of the killers in the entire franchise were all accused at one point in the movie with three exceptions. And all of those exceptions are women. So my personal rule is don't underestimate the fucking women. And, you know, that is kind of the theme of the whole franchise because Sidney Prescott, spoiler alert, lives on. Courtney Cox also lives on. Sorry, her character's name is uh, Gail Weathers, but, uh, you know, she's also going to live on. Um, And I kind of wish they could just both be killed ceremoniously so that the franchise can stop. But, of course, even if that happened, the franchise wouldn't stop because, as we will learn... In Scream 6, one of the rules of the franchise is that all of the core characters are expendable. But anyway, let's talk about the original Scream, all right? It came out in 1996. And even if you don't know anything about Scream, you probably do know that, you know, Drew Barrymore is featured prominently on the cover and was featured prominently in the uh, trailers and PR for this film. But the gag of it all is that she dies within the first five minutes. And so following this tradition, every movie will have like the iconic opening kill scene um, to someone who may or may not be related to the rest of the cast. So in Scream 1, it's Drew Barrymore. Uh, Picture her in a blonde uh, wig, like a bob style with, uh, with bangs, right? And she gets a call and she picks up, you know, her giant home telephone. It doesn't have a cord. It is 1996, but it is huge. Um, And this guy is calling and he's like, oh, I think I have the wrong number. And she's like, well, who are you looking for? And he's like, well, who am I talking to? And they just start talking and she's like, I'm about to watch a scary movie. And he's like, what's your favorite scary movie? She says Halloween. Um, And then he like asks her what her, I don't know. He asks her something and she's like, why do you want to know? And he's like, I want to know who I'm looking at. And she's like, what and he's like I will I, I want to know who I'm talking to and she's you know this point she gets smart she locks the door she arms herself with a little fucking letter opener but of course uh the voice this voice um <laughs> we'll call him Ghostface because that's how they refer to him based because of the mask that he wears and I say he not knowing you know the gender of who is actually behind the mask anyway but um so he's saying he wants to play a game um and she's like what kind of game um and it's a trivia game and you know she okay but before that happens she um you know he's like I want to take you on a date and she's like she acts like she doesn't have a boyfriend but then once he starts getting a little bit more threatening she's like my boyfriend's gonna be here soon and he's like oh I thought you didn't have one and she's like I do and he's like oh yeah his name wouldn't happen to be Steve would it (laughs) and she's like ah 
sorry, no, it's the gag of the century. Steve, would it? I love that line. Anyway, um, so then like he tells her to turn on the patio light again. And when she does, this guy in a letterman jacket is like sitting on a chair right outside. And he's like, he's got tape over his mouth and he's taped to the chair and he's battered and bloody. And she like, you know, wants to save him, but she also doesn't want to go outside. And so the guy's like, I want to play a game. And she's like, what kind of a game? And so he asks her like some horror movie trivia, right? So that's how we're setting the stage. And he's like, who's the killer in Halloween? You know, she's crying. She doesn't even, she doesn't want to play. She's like, you know, she's distraught, but she says Michael Myers, which is correct. But then he asks her, who the killer in Friday the 13th is. And for listeners to the pod, we know that in the original Friday the 13th, the killer was Mrs. Voorhees. But Drew Barrymore, she answers Jason. And so she has to watch her boyfriend uh, die outside. Um, we don't even see the killer. He like comes up from behind him and like stabs him in the gut. And so we just see his like bloodiness, you know, from the from the front. Um, and then, uh, he's like, okay, I've got another question. What door am I at? And so this, you know, ensues the chase scene and like all of the houses in the movie, all of the houses in the entire franchise are very like cookie cutter white suburban homes that usually have a sliding glass door at some point, at some point in the house. Um, And so chase scene ensues and she's like still got the phone in her hand and like he like catches her and he just like starts ripping her to shreds basically. Right. And then like her parents get home and like her throat has been cut. So like she can't even scream, but like she has to like see her parents get home and she's trying to like call out to them. And when they go inside, they like realize that something like awful has happened. And you know, so they're going to go to the neighbors to call the police. And when the mom walks back outside, she sees her daughter hung up in a tree with like her guts spilling out. Just awful, just gross and horrifying. Um, but that's how we start. <laughs> so um, after that, we meet our cast of characters, right? So Sydney Prescott is played by Nave Campbell and her boyfriend Billy is played by a guy named Skeet Ulrich. His name is Skeet. I don't even know how to account for that. Um, and we also have her friend Tatum played by Rose McGowan. Her boyfriend played by uh, Matthew Lillard, the love of my life. Their mutual friend Randy played by... Um, um, fuck he's a, he's literally been on podcasts what is his name Jamie Kennedy that's that's where we're gonna start you know that's like our high school group of friends you know that's our pod um so Sydney is like up she's wearing this nightgown she's just in her room doing some homework or whatever on the computer when her boyfriend you know starts coming through her window and she's like no you gotta leave um and then like her dad comes in and like he hides and then you know the boyfriend comes back out and um he says that you know 
smooth talker. He says he was home watching The Exorcist and it got him thinking of her, right? Um, and, you know, they're chatting for a bit. Basically, you know, Sydney's not down to have sex yet and he's being like, he's acting like he's understanding about it, but he's also like, you know, climbing through her bedroom window, being sneaky and creepy. Um, and then, but eventually he leaves. The next day at school, you know, the kids find out what happened. They find out that uh, Casey Becker and Stephen Orrith were killed the night before, like, super horrifically. And Tatum mentions to Sydney that, like, it's the worst crime in a while, even worse than, woo, what are they talking about? Okay, we quickly find out that what they're talking about is the fact that um, almost, like, to the day, like, it's a, like, in two days, it will have been the one-year anniversary of Sydney's mother's death. And her mother was brutally raped and tortured. And, um, you know, Sydney identified a guy named Cotton Weary who was wearing this, like, bloody jacket. And her, like, testimony basically was the evidence that they needed to uh, sentence him to death for this, you know, obviously horrific crime. But um, there is a, a reporter named Gail Weathers, played by Miss Courtney Cox, and she's just a fame hungry monster like she's not a like a great person like she's not an evil person but she's not a good person um and she has basically been like on the side of cotton weary this whole time like taking it upon herself to tell his story that he has been like falsely identified and he's completely innocent and he was just like having an affair with Sydney's mother but he definitely didn't kill her and Sydney doesn't believe that at all but you know it, Courtney Cox like whether or not she believes Cotton I don't think is the point I think she just wants the uh PR for like being the one to tell this story but anyway um you know, when like the, the high school is being like swarmed with press. Right. And Gail Weathers is there. And, uh, you know, she comes up to talk to Sydney and they're like, you know, they talk about this and, you know, Gail says to her face, like, I think you falsely identified him. Um, and we get this vibe that like maybe the person that killed Sydney's mom is actually, you know, still out there and that cotton weary was, uh, you know, incorrectly uh identified or whatever but um also you know it's sad because like Sydney doesn't want to believe that her mom was just like having an affair with this guy like it's kind of easier to believe that like this guy was horrific but it's like it's like a local secret that her mom was actually like unfaithful and you know had a lot of different romantic partners outside of Sydney's father so it's just like coping with that, you know, because everyone's like calling your mom a slut and then this happens to her and it's just like awful. And then a year later, like some random shit like this happens again. It's very dark, very, very dark. And must I say, the information that gets dumped on us here, like it is so ripe for a prequel. That's the only thing that hasn't happened in the Scream franchise is a prequel. God, do you think that that's what they're working on next? <sighs> It's coming at some point, you know, the prequel has to come, especially because they insist on bringing fucking Skeet Ulrich back, <laughs> which I hate. But, you know, we'll get to that when we get into Scream 5 and 6. 
But in every movie, we will have the scene of the high schoolers sitting around, chatting, talking about like, oh my God, who could have done this to these people? But they immediately start talking about each other. They immediately start accusing each other, you know, in a joking way, in a joking way. But it's like, you know, they're like, oh, what were you doing last night? And, you know, Stu is like, I was with Tatum. We were, you know, hooking up. And Tatum's like, yeah. And, you know, they're like, where were you? And Randy's like, I was working at the video store. And you know we know that like Billy was with Sydney last night so it's like they're all looking at each other like hey you know you could have done this and it's it's funny because it's Matthew Lillard you know and he does the like liver alone line which is hilarious um but then like every other movie after that they try to repeat it and it's just like I don't know it 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 just it's just it never outdoes the original and I wish they would kind of get more creative in the way that they like always lay out this like tension you know because I don't know anyway you can't outdo the original but anyway so that's like the vibes going on and then what happens after that but um Tatum's brother uh played by of course David Arquette who met Courtney Cox on this set and then they of course got married and then they got divorced and they're still in movies together um it's it's very cute uh however you feel about their relationship it's just cool to watch it play out in these little silly little movies but um so he he plays uh the deputy and they're like questioning a lot of people at school because they just you know don't know where to start and so that's where they're starting their investigation they're just talking to a bunch of kids at school and so I guess that's what gets them all like talking about like whether or not any of them could be the killer because like they ask the boys like if they like to hunt but they don't ask the girls if they like to hunt and they're like isn't that sexist I could easily be the killer but anyway Later that night, Sydney is waiting for Tatum to pick her up because her dad is going or has gone out of town on business or whatever. And so she's waiting for Tatum to pick her up so she can stay at her house that night. And, you know, she says she's going to stop at the video store. But Sydney takes a nap. And when she wakes up, Tatum still isn't there. But she gets a call from Mr. Ghostface, which I guess we should call him Ghost Voice at this point because... I mean, if we're referring to his voice, he's ghost voice. Okay, that's what I'm going to say, ghost voice. So ghost, so ghost voiced calls, and, you know, Sydney thinks it's a prank. She thinks it's one of her friends, and he asks, what's your favorite scary movie? And she's like, oh, you know, I don't like that shit. Like, it's very sexist, and it's unfair to women, and blah, 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 blah. Um, but then who would show up? But Ghostface, and he's coming at her, and he attacks her, and then I don't even remember, but you know, she gets away. She, you know, even though she said, "Oh, these dumb bitches, they're always running up the stairs when they should be running out the front door." You know, she tries to run out the front door, but of course, he's out there, so she has to run up the stairs. And um, you know, she like he leaves, and she's fine, but Billy shows up like two seconds later, like pops up and comes in through the window. And, you know, she's, like, thankful to see him there. She feels protected. But then a cell phone falls out out of his pocket. And that's weird because it's 1996. And so um, the police are there and they arrest Billy. Like, the police, like, showed up, like, at the last, like, right after they should have gotten there. You know, like, they always, they always just miss him. The thing about Ghostface is no matter who is playing them, they will never be revealed till the end and that is what I guess I should have said in my rules at the beginning it's like especially in the most recent one where it was like 
a bunch of people are being chased down by Ghostface, it's like, overpower him, take off his mask, fucking kill him. Like, you don't have to wait for him to reveal himself to you after he monologues. Like, you can get the motive just by looking at his face. And it's like, I'm just, I just, I want, at least in one of these movies, the person to be demasked. Like, prematurely. Ugh, but of course we don't get that. So anyway, they arrest Billy and then they're at the station and, you know, they, they called his dad and Sydney is very distraught and, you know, they hold him there that night and she goes home with Tatum, but not before, um, she's leaving the police station and Gail Weathers is there and, you know, putting a camera and a microphone in her face and like asking for a statement. And, um, (laughs) she's... Sydney like asks her how the book is because Gail is like writing a book about her mom's you know uh death and uh the trial of Cotton after that and everything and accusing Sydney of being a liar and everything and you know Gail says something snarky like oh I'll send you a copy and (laughs) Sydney punches her across the face it's so rock and roll just punches her right across the fucking face and so then Sydney goes to spend the night at Tatum's house and she gets a phone call and who is it but ghost voice and now remember Billy is in jail so now she hears like the killer's voice and she's like fuck you know and you know the killer even says that she's he's like you fingered the wrong guy again um and it's obviously very distressing um and the next day you know they have to go to fucking school and she runs into Billy there and you know she's still a little freaked out but he's like look they like let me go and um you know she's like yeah but I'm still like freaked out like someone tried to kill me and he's like being a dick he's like somehow they bring it back around to like how she needs to get over the fact that like her mom died and it's like it was only a year ago and people are now being murdered again <laughs> like why would it why would she not be um distraught um like anyway but um she goes into the bathroom and you know at some point like Ghostface pops out and tries to attack her again but it's like unclear whether it's like a student playing a prank because a lot of students are just running around like wearing these masks now because they think it's funny um and so they decide to like adjourn school oh and the principal by the way is Henry fucking Winkler and he's uncredited can you believe um And he kind of, like, he has this moment in his office where he's uh, getting on to these two boys for, like, because they were, like, wearing masks and running around the hall. And, you know, he, like, expels them and he, like, cuts the mask up in front of them. And he's, like, they're, like, that's not fair. And he's, like, no, what's fair is, like, if I gutted your insides out. And he's, like, very graphic about it and just, like, hardcore. Um, And so you think for a moment, ooh, is he the killer? But then right after that, he gets um, stabbed and killed. So he's not. (laughs) Um, But now since like school has been adjourned, it's party time. And so Stu decides that he's going to host a party at his house. Um, And so Tatum like convinces Sydney that it'll be fun or whatever. Um, And they're chatting a little bit before the party gets going. And Tatum mentions that like, you know, all the gossip about Sydney's mom, like she can't help but believe it because there was always like talk of like her mom hooking up with other guys and like Sydney's like, okay, fuck you. But also like if I, (laughs) if Cotton wasn't the killer, then the killer is still out there. And you know, Tatum's like, oh yeah, well don't think about that. (laughs) And it's like, girl, 
wake up. Um, but anyway, so they, they, they get ready to party, right? Um, and while we are at this party, Randy, uh, is our, is our resident film buff, our resident horror nerd. So he says like they're watching Halloween and, you know, they're talking about Jamie Lee Curtis and they ask, or no, they don't ask, but, um, uh, Randy says that, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, like she didn't show her tits until like far into her career because she's always the virgin because that's the only way you can survive survive horror movies and that's one of the rules like only the virgin can survive till the end of the horror movie um and also like you can't drink or do drugs because of the sin factor like it's an extension of the virginity thing like it'll just it'll get you killed and also the third thing is you can never under any circumstances say i'll be right back because you won't be back and then of course um stew is like I'll be right back. And he leaves the room and it's, it's a gag. Everyone goes crazy for that. Um, but meanwhile, Tatum has gone to the basement to get more beer. And while she's down there, she is met by a, a one Mr. Ghostface. And, you know, of course she thinks it's, it's Stu just playing a prank on her, but, um, he like cuts her arm and then he like starts stabbing her and she like tries to crawl out the garage through like a doggy door on the garage door but then like Ghostface like turns the garage, like she, like opens the garage door. She's, she's like half out of this like doggy door and then gets like lifted up by this garage door. And then like her back gets broken at the top. Oh, it's so gross and sad. So she's just like, she's just like up there dead. It, it's really upsetting. And then, so at some point, Gail Weathers uh, has shown up with uh, Deputy Dewey. Um, because she's trying to get the story and he's just like, Oh, I'm here to keep everyone safe. But also he's like really got the hots for, for Gail. Um, so Gail like sets up a camera in the house. At one point she, uh, she and Dewey like go for a little walk outside and they find Sydney's father's car. And now Sydney's father was supposed to be like out of town on a business trip, but they don't really have any record of him staying at a hotel. And so, you know, this whole time they're wondering like, oh shit, is he dead or is he the killer? And Randy called it. He said he's going to show up in the final act dead. Um, he doesn't show up dead, but he does show up in the final act and he is not the killer. Um, shortly after that, like I think Dewey goes and like phones that in and then Gail goes back to her like news van and she's watching a camera that she had secretly set up inside the house. And so Randy is sitting on the couch watching Halloween and he's like yelling at the TV like we all do. Like, look behind you. He's right behind you. The killer is right behind you. Meanwhile, Gail is watching Randy watch that in the van, seeing Ghostface come up behind Randy. And so she's also like, fuck Randy behind you. Um, and But Randy, Randy gets got a little bit. And then... Um, Gail discovers that her cameraman who has been missing is uh, he is like on the roof of her car um, and his throat has been slashed. And so it's just, you know, really turning into like a final a final act bloodbath. And like everyone has left the party with the exception of like the core friend group because everyone heard that the principal died and got strung up on the goalpost, which I, I would have liked to have seen that I sound like so fucked up but it's like after like six movies and so many stabbings like I want 
some of the stuff to be a little bit more original, especially because like in this first movie, it does seem like the killers are more, um, they're very, I guess they're all pretty like, they're all like movie nerds and they're all kind of like want to showcase their work in a different way. But the, like the stringing up of like Casey Becker, like into the tree and then like the supposed like hanging of the principal, like on the goalpost, like it's just very interesting. And that we don't see a lot of that because, and that's like, I guess like a Michael Myers and like a Jason staple, like hiding the bodies in conspicuous places so they can be found in the final act. And that's kind of what we get with Tatum because like her body is like left up there and Sydney just like, sees her after it's been like far too long to save her um but anyway so at some point um sorry everything is like all happening at the same time so I'm trying to remember like where we are um but Sydney at some point goes upstairs with Billy um and decides that she is ready to to bone so they do and then after that you know they're getting dressed and she's talking about how like huh wouldn't it be interesting if like while you were in jail, you called me like as ghost face, ghost voice to like throw me off track so that I wouldn't think it was you. Um, and he's like, what do I have to do to prove to you I'm not a killer? And at that point, ghost face comes up behind him and stabs him um, a couple times. Um, and so Sydney runs away. She runs out the front door and she runs into Stu and Randy and they're both pointing at the other one. Like they're both covered in blood and they're both pointing at the other one. Like Sydney, please help. You got to let me in. Like, (laughs) and then like, at like at some point she like lets, I think she lets Stu in and then, or no, they let Randy in and you know, Randy is like Stu has gone mad and you know um fucking Billy is there and he's still alive and he's like we all go a little mad sometimes and then he takes out a gun and he shoots Randy in the chest and at this point Sydney is like gagged and Billy really is one of the best killers he like he like he takes the gun and he scratches his head with it and he says Anthony Perkins psycho and then he like licks the blood off his fingers and he's like corn syrup you know exactly what they use for pig's blood and carry um and so Sydney is like now like oh fuck and goes to run away and Stu shows up in the doorway and he holds the fucking voice changer up to his mouth and says surprise Sydney so now we see now we know who our killers are it's Stu and it's Billy it's the boyfriend and it's the friend and this was like the gag because you go the whole movie thinking like it's one person and slowly people keep getting ruled out because they're like there or they're getting attacked but of course it had to be two people Billy was the mastermind and Stu was just the fucked up psycho who needed something to do right but you know they had this whole conversation earlier in the movie in the movie store about like motive and you know because that's that's like what actual like police look for when they're looking for suspects they look for motive but in like a horror movie it's not really the same thing especially when you're dealing with a serial killer who appears to be killing people you know indiscriminately Um, and at some point, you know, Randy says that motive is incidental, but the ironic thing is that like, 
none of our killers, like in any of the franchise, see it that way. They never see um, <clears throat> motive as being incidental. They kind of see it all about like being one person for one reason. But of course, then they, you know, kill a bunch of people for like no reason just to like build up to that. Um, but anyway, um, Billy tells us the actual motive, which is that um, apparently his father was uh fucking sydney's mother and that's the reason that billy's mom left him when he was a boy which again it's like hmm i feel like if you're gonna kill any of the people in this scenario you maybe should kill your dad because it sounds like he couldn't keep his dick in his pants but no it's like it's very um punish women for their sexuality and act like you know women's sexuality is gonna be like the doom of us all when it's really like men it's all it always comes down to men um but anyway he so yeah apparently billy's father was seeing sydney's mother and then after that billy's father left or no billy's mother left so billy you know hasn't seen his mother in years blames sydney and her mother for that and the person who you know raped and murdered sydney's mother a year before was Billy and Stu. And that's one another thing that none of the other killers have done. They have never played the long game. They've never killed someone and waited a year for other shit to happen. And like, I think that's, again, why this is like ripe for a prequel. Because it's like, these dudes like went through a lot and a lot of planning. And like, yeah, they're very sneaky and stealthy, but they obviously like were planning it for a really long time, even though they, you know, of course don't get away with it and couldn't possibly. But it's like none of the other killers like took the time and took the care. And these were like the youngest ones. These were just like, you know, we assume seniors in high school, which means they like started when they were like younger, not to praise the serial killers, but like, I'm just saying like, as like fleshed out characters, I think a lot more interesting. Um, but yeah, so then of course they pull Sydney's father out of the closet and they, this is another thing that the killers always have to do. They're always planning to blame it on someone else. They're always planning to like rewrite the story, but of course they're never successful in doing that. So the plan is to like plant the voice changer and like the knife and the gun on um, on Sydney's father um, and to kill him and make it look like a suicide. And, you know, Stu and Billy are going to live to tell the tale. Right. But um, luckily, Courtney Cox is uh, lurking around. Um, and even though like she crashed her van before when she found her dead cameraman and even though she like looked dead, she's fucking back. She still looks dead for sure, but she's back and she is fucking, um, stolen, uh, Stu and Billy's gun. Um, but unfortunately she forgot to, uh, turn the safety off. So she was able to like distract them for a minute, but, uh, then they kind of like, uh, kick her to the curb and, um, you know, but Sydney at this point has, has made a break for it and she's disappeared. Yeah. It basically like, you know, it, there, there's the chase and there's the, there's the suspense and there's the, ooh and the, ah, but the, the, uh, the point of it is that, you know, Gail lives, Randy lives, Sydney lives, Sue and Billy do not live. They, uh, they take them out, you know, but 
another you know of course horror movie trope and that will be employed with every single killer in the scream franchise until the end of time is that they always come back so unless you shoot them square in the head they are always going to come back so um with Stu, he's been stabbed a bunch um but they they fucking put a tv on his head and that's how he like one of those old mid-90s tvs that were actually like heavy and made of glass on the front um yeah they drop one of those huge things on his head so that like takes care of him but with um with billy he like he like pops up like a zombie at the last minute and so sydney like shoots him like square in the head And then Gail goes outside and gets in front of the camera and starts doing her fucking, doing her fucking story, top story with Gail Weathers. She is reporting live from the scene looking like a zombie and it's very badass. It really is like you hate her, but you love her. Um, And yeah, that is, that is the original scream. And it's like, I, like, I don't think a, like a, a quick description of it could really, do it justice um i definitely think everyone should watch that movie um i don't think you could possibly regret it but um so if we want to do like a death count (laughs) a death count for every movie uh for this one we've got steve casey principal henry tatum randy but that was a fake out um kenny the cameraman and then the killers so that's five people that they were able to kill except also including Maureen Prescott, that would be six, right? Yes. Um, so uh, that was the original Scream. But just like Friday the 13th, <laughs> Scream would come out with a sequel in just one year. Scream 2 comes out in 1997. And the iconic opening scene for this film stars Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith. So it's like, can you picture a hotter couple, right? And they are going to the movies. They're going to see Stab. You know, like, she really doesn't want to see it. She'd rather see, like, a rom-com or something. Um, but, you know, she's there for it. She she wants to get into it. Um, it's, it's a madhouse. Like, I don't know how he, like, dragged her there on opening night. But, you know, even though it's, it's the first Stab movie, it already seems to have a huge cult following. And, you know, the production company is like pumping a lot into it so they sent like scream masks to like all the theaters and they like give them out to everybody and like fake knives so it's like a madhouse everyone's got masks on right and so they're sitting down to watch this movie and heather graham plays the drew barrymore character but in the like stab version she like is getting naked and getting into a shower right it's uh much less wholesome it's it's much more uh, sexually charged right um so Omar Epps's character he goes to the bathroom and he hears something in the stall next to him so he like puts his ear up to the stall and gets stabbed right into the head like right through the wall right oh it's awful and then someone comes and sits next to Jada Pinkett Smith in the audience and you know she cuddles up to him thinking it's her boyfriend and she realizes that there's blood on his clothes and that it's not him but she can't really do anything and he just like stabs her multiple times and she just like she crawls all the way up to like it's like a stage I guess where like the the screen is and she just like stands in front of everyone and like dies and coughs blood and it's it's sick look but now we get into our main characters again right so Sydney is it's just a year later right and she is away at college I don't know how she found it in her but she goes away to college 
Um, she, uh, we see her getting like some prank calls from Ghost Voice, but she thinks it just has to do with the release of the Stab movie. And we find out that Cotton Weary has been exonerated. And um, Sydney has this roommate named Hallie, and she's trying to get her to go to this like sorority mixer that night with her. Um, but then they hear about the deaths of two Windsor seniors the night before, which I gotta say, uh, even if seniors in college still feels like a stretch for Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith, like I don't want to look up their actual ages in case, <laughs> but no, they did not look to be college aged at all. But anyway, um, they find out about their deaths and that's obviously, uh, you know, gonna shake Sydney a little bit. Um, so Sydney goes to find Randy and Randy is in a film class, an absolutely star studded film class with fucking Sarah Michelle, Je- <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller, Joshua Jackson and Timothy Oliphant. Right. And I want to say something about Joshua, Joshua Jackson, right? This was a year before Dawson's Creek would come out. And Kevin, like I said, Kevin Williamson also wrote Dawson's Creek. And I got to say, Dawson's there are so many things about Dawson's Creek that do like follow the scream formula or maybe vice versa you know just like even in scream four when Anna Paquin makes that comment about like all these like over articulate teens who like sit around dissecting horror movies it's like that's exactly what Dawson's Creek is it's it's a bunch of articulate teenagers sitting around dissecting horror movies like the whole first season of Dawson's Creek they're making a horror movie and and I thought it was interesting that you know Joshua Jackson just has this like one line role as like uh, a kid in college and the next year he would come back to mainstream television as a tiny baby boy of just 15 years old but I digress (laughs) okay so Gail shows up uh, on campus looking hot as fuck but I gotta say her and Sydney always have the same haircut right but Gail's is a little bit more tacky like in the first movie they both had like medium length hair with puffy bangs um, but Sydney's was just like chocolate brown and you know um, Gail's had like highlights and this year is the same thing like they both have this like cute little bob but Gail has like red highlights <laughs> um, but anyway she shows up she's looking hot I gotta be honest um, And, oh, and she, like, meets her new cameraman. And, like, what we know but he doesn't know yet is that, like, her last cameraman died horrifically. So, like, this poor guy, right? Um, And then this reporter, played by Laurie Metcalf, shows up. And she's, like, a huge fan of Gail's. But she's also, like, a reporter herself. And she's, like, desperate to get a quote. And she, like, asks Gail about violence in the media and whether or not she feels responsible. But Gail is, like, a bitch, and she, like, blows her off. She's, like, I'm not, you know, dealing with any fucking fangirls, especially when they're, like, low-key being shady. Um, And so then we see, um, we meet Sydney's new beau. It's a guy named uh, Derek, played by Jerry O'Connell. We also have Portia de Rossi as this sorority girl. Um, And so, anyway, Sydney finds Dewey wandering around campus, and she's excited to like see him and but obviously he's there because of the killings and he's there to like check check up on her um and she's like says that she's like excited because she's starring in a new play and she's seeing this new guy and Dewey is like you know maybe be wary of anyone who's like close to you because the killer might be the next Billy Loomis and she's like yeah obviously I've thought of that but what am I supposed to do like not have any friends not have a boyfriend like honestly like what's the what's a girl to do and anyway gail shows up at some point and confronts sydney she's got cotton weary with him and puts a camera in her face and she's trying to get some like impromptu quote or interview or whatever and sydney 
<laughs> smacks her across the face as she does best. Um, and Cotton, you know, he seems nice. He's like, he was like, Gail, I thought you like scheduled an interview. Like this seemed like very, like she had no idea I was going to be here. Um, and like, he's obviously like hurt that she's using him, but it's like, they're, you know, using each other, I guess. Um, um, and then, you know, Dewey and Gail have like a little bit of a conversation where there's like tension because like, you know, they obviously like liked each other, but you know, she like left to do her own thing and now she's back. But you know, they've got chemistry, these two, they just, they can't stay away from each other. So next we get a scene, which is much more akin to like, you know, the girl alone in the house scene, which is what I live for. Like that's the scary shit. But Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller plays this sorority girl named Cece and she's like, you know, she gets a call from the killer, basically. You know, it, it drags on for a while. He asks her her favorite scary movie. And then, you know, she gets she gets stabbed and, you know, thrown onto the lawn. And then, you know, a bunch of cops show up to the scene. You know, everyone who was at, like, the sorority mixer right across the street. They, like, all, like, go to see what's up. Um, Lori Metcalf is back on the scene, like, reporting. I don't really know what her deal is. Um And Sid, like, stops in the house to get her jacket, Um, but by this point, everyone has left to go look outside at what's happening there, and, you know, Derek is right outside waiting for her, but, you know, as she goes in to just get her jacket for one second, Ghostface shows up and attacks her and, like, locks her in the house, and then, like, by the time she, like, gets away, uh, you know, Derek has, like, he, like, went into the house after him, and he just gets this one, like, artificial cut on his arm. Not artificial, but, like, uh, like superficial, right? Just, like, a little scratch on his arm. Um, and so when the cops show up, you know, they're like, so you went in after him, and all you got was this little cut. And where were you the entire time Sydney was getting attacked, right? You know, it's, like, it's, it's very suspicious, right? Um, but the, uh, so, like, Dewey and Gail are, like, helping out the local cops, I guess, um, with the case. And they note that, uh, Cece, the girl who was just killed, um, Cece is short for Casey. Right. Um, and then the, the previous two victims were a guy named guy whose last name was Stevens. Um, and one of the, like the first victim actually of er, the first victim in the scream movie and probably in the stab movie was Steven Orith. Right. And, um, the his date uh jada pinkett smith's character her name was maureen right so just like just like maureen prescott so they they like take note that the killer is like is like modeling the killings after like the original woodsboro murders right and so Lori Metcalf's character notes that the killer is probably from Woodsboro and how weird it is that both Dewey and, you know, uh, what's her name? Gail are back in town when all of this starts going down. Right. And, you know, the boyfriend, Derek, like he knows, like he's not being trusted, but he makes this like big show in the dining hall of like singing this song and like standing on a table to Sydney. And then he like gives her his like fraternity letters on a chain, you know, and it's really cute. And she wears them even into the next movie. It's so sad. We see like some interviews uh, between like the cast of Stab um, uh, doing like promo for the movie or whatever. And Tori Spelling is playing Sydney's character which is funny because in the first movie they talk about like, Oh, Sydney, like if they make a movie about your life, who's going to play you. And she's like, with my luck, it'll be Tori spelling. And so that they used Tori spelling's name in the script. And 
Tori Spelling, like apparently like all the young ingenues in Hollywood got a script for Scream, like before it came out or before they started filming and casting, obviously. And so Tori Spelling got a script and she saw this dig about her, but she went in and auditioned for Sydney's part anyway. Like, can you believe that? That is true. I learned that uh, on Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Um, they've done a lot of Tori Spelling because Tori Spelling has written a lot of books. Um, she obviously did not get cast as Sydney, but she did get cast in the remake to play play the person who played Sydney so that's just pretty funny but it's also like damn poor Sydney she was right they did cast Tori Spelling um and Luke Wilson plays plays Billy Loomis very funny so Randy and Dewey are chatting and they're talking about the rules for a sequel which include higher body count more gore and they have a long conversation about the suspects like you know like everyone in Sydney's friend group and you know Randy is like, you're a suspect. And Dewey's like, if I'm a suspect, you're a sp- suspect. And they're like, okay, touche. Guess neither of us are suspects. <laughs> um, and then we see Sydney like talking to her drama professor, uh, played by David Warner of Titanic. Um, and she's talking about wanting to drop out of the play, but he's encouraging her to like use her pain or whatever. And they start rehearsals and like a bunch of people on the stage are wearing these freaky like stone looking masks and cloaks and it's like a full dress rehearsal and like Sydney's in like full Helen of Troy glam. But it looks like the killer is on stage and starts coming after her or maybe it's just in her mind. But she has a bit of a freak out and then like everyone looks at her like she's crazy. And like Derek shows up to take her home and she's like, how long have you been here? And she just like isn't trusting him. And then um, Randy, Gail and Dewey all get a call from the killer on Gail's phone. So they're all standing in a group and they get a call from the killer on Gail's phone. Um, and this was like right after the cameraman had just like left the scene to go like get some Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. Um, and so they're trying to like run around looking for the guy with the cell phone and they're like harassing everybody. And then like Randy like takes the phone and starts walking away from, from Gail and Dewey and he's like taunting the guy and he's like, do you really want to idolize someone like Billy fucking Loomis? They look like wet rats. (laughs) He literally says they look like a rat. And he right after this he gets dragged into this like parked news van and stabbed to death inside like a lot um and then when gail and dewey find him the cameraman just like shows back up and then we see sydney's in the library and she gets like uh like a direct message or like an instant message or whatever um and it's like from ghostface but her bodyguards immediately step in like she's got these two like suits that are watching her everywhere she goes um but like when the bodyguards like step in to handle this like cotton pops up and he is like real intense and like thought he was a good guy before but now not so much um he's like trying to pressure sydney to like do a diane sawyer interview with him because they'll both get like paid a lot of money obviously um but she's like no i really don't want to talk about my trauma anymore and he's like you owe me this like i almost went to prison like i i was in jail for a year because of your accusations but he's like he's being very creepy and very touchy and it like escalates and he gets arrested and they eventually let him go so gail like is like pleading with dewey to like help her find the killer they decide that they're gonna look through their video footage of like everything she's taken at the crime scenes to see like who has been at the crime scenes um because that's probably like who the killer could be because i guess they figured like he's like you know relishing in his work which tracks with like you know true crime they're you know 
the guy you're looking for is usually going to be like helping you look for the body, right? <laughs> um, so they're running through this like school trying to find a VCR, right? Um, and they have some some dorky little, you know, Dewey Gale, I'll call him gooey, some gooey moments. Um, and before you know it, they're making out. But then they notice this like other TV come on and it has uh, footage of other victims, footage that Gail's cameraman didn't take. And then they see footage of themselves like live from the back. And Dewey runs off to be a hero and Ghostface pops up behind Gail. Then like, you know, there's like a whole chase scene through this thing. And then, you know, Dewey gets stabbed a bunch in front of Gail and then Sydney and Hallie are like being taken off somewhere with the cops, I guess, to like a secure location or what they would hope to be a secure location. But while the car is stopped at a red light, Ghostface kills both of the cops like super quick like and the girls are just stuck in the back and it's like the back of a cop car. Right. So it's they're like locked in, but they're able to like peel back this the like barrier and like climb through the front seat. But they have to climb like over Ghostface's lap and it's just so tense the entire time. And once they finally, like, make it out, Sydney, like, says that she, like, like, they get, like, a, half a block away. And Sydney's like, no, like, I have to go see who it is. Because, like, Ghostface is, like, like, the car, like, crashed, right? So he's, like, knocked out in the front seat. But, of course, by the time she gets back to the car, he's gone. And she, like, looks back at her friend Hallie. And he pops up, like, right behind her and stabs her a bunch of times. So, you know, there goes Hallie. Um... At this point, like, Gail is still, like, on campus, and she, like, runs to a payphone, and she runs into Lori Metcalf again, and, you know, she fully believes that Cotton is the killer, um, because she just saw him in the hallway with blood on his hands, but he's like, oh, no, I just, I just found, I just found Dewey, which is, I think another thing that happens in literally every movie is someone has blood on their hands and claims it's because they found someone else. But, you know, sometimes they're sometimes they're being honest and sometimes they're lying. Um, but um, Sydney gets like led back into like the drama department and she goes onto the stage. And um, previously, Derek had been like dragged away by his frat buddies and like basically strung up like Jesus on a cross so they could like pour booze on him and like taunt him or whatever for giving away his fraternity letters. But now he has been like rigged to this stage and he like drops down on this like theater prop and he's got like a bunch of like scratches and marks all on his body. And she doesn't know if she can like trust him. She doesn't even know if she should like untie him to take him down. Um, But then like Mickey shows up out of the wings and the thing is is I don't even know if I introduced Mickey as a character because he is so insignificant oh I did okay he's Timothy Oliphant so he was in the film class he's been in a couple of scenes he has a kind of creepy aura but you know he was definitely never prime suspect because it's like we don't know who he is but here he is and he takes off his mask and it's kind of like what but anyway Mickey is like he's monologuing he's claiming that you know like he's gonna frame Derek as his partner um but then he like shoots him in the heart and it's real sad um and he's like here's the thing I'm gonna blame the movies I'm gonna plead insanity I'm gonna get uh reputation and get famous off the trial just like one cotton weary and that's you know his plan he's gonna be famous but it's a little too flimsy right that can't be the only thing right he says 
but who's my partner? I got to have a partner, right? Who's my partner, Sid? And out of the wings comes Gail. But don't worry. But don't worry. She is followed by Lori Metcalf holding a gun. And Sydney says, Mrs. Loomis? Mrs. fucking Loomis! Gail! Gail, how'd you miss that, Gail? Gail. Also, Sydney, you didn't see her lurking on campus all of these times? How did, how did, how did this woman keep running into Gail and at no point run into Sydney? I just, come on, Sid. I think you need to, like, I don't think you're as observant as you should be with what you've been through because how did you not see her? And apparently she looks a little different. She says she's like, you know, plastic surgery and, you know, 60 pounds lighter or whatever. But still, I just find that a little upsetting. But yeah, so Mrs. Loomis, Billy Loomis's mother, the mother that left him as a, as a young boy. And then, you know, that's how, why he claims he's so fucked up because his mommy left him. And, you know, she just says that this is, this is just good old fashioned revenge. Like you killed my baby boy. I'm going to kill you, Sydney Prescott. And, you know, Sydney's like, okay, so like the son you abandoned, you're going to like avenge him. You know, the irony is just palpable there's a like a you know and at this point she just shoots mickey she's like he you know we can't have we can't have that you know (laughs) we can't have we can't have that living on but you know the final fight scene involves a lot of like these theater props and like practical effects and you know when like all hope seems lost cotton shows up and shoots mrs loomis but it's like it's like a weird showdown because it's like like she like Mrs. Loomis has got Sydney and like Cotton shows up with a gun and he's like, How about Diane Sawyer? And, you know, Sydney's like, sure. And then he shoots he shoots Mrs. Loomis. And it's like, really? You you are pretty evil. Like you're even worse than Gail at this point. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But, you know, as they're preparing for Mrs. Loomis to come back for one more shot, uh, Derek comes back. Not Derek. Um, fucking, what's his name? Mickey. Mickey comes back, you know, so they have to shoot him again. Um, uh, as the movie ends, we find out that Dewey is going to survive. Cotton is absolutely eating up the press he's getting because he's like the hero now. Um, and a collective soul song takes us right into the credits. 1997. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, as far as sequels go, didn't punch as great as the first one um I thought Larry Laurie Metcalf was a great villain I love that she's like an ode to Mrs. Voorhees you know even their names kind of sound the same Loomis Voorhees you know double O's or whatever but like Mickey he was just he was just like a pawn and you know these movies are constantly about misdirection and so you kind of don't think that like a character who's so secondary could be one of the killers but also like Stu was a pretty secondary character in the first movie I guess he just he's shown much brighter like Timothy Oliphant was just kind of like lurking and creeping in the shadows in this movie so I don't know I didn't I definitely didn't like it as much as the first but I tell you what I don't like the third one even more (laughs) so let's get into that one all right, Scream 3 is where things get um, a lot more meta and a lot more convoluted. So the third installment came out in the year 2000. And this is um, a break in the pattern of like the opening scene because instead of it just being a rando, um, we have uh, someone who we already know. Uh, we have Cotton Weary. He is... 
um, in a car. He's obviously made it because he's wearing a nice suit and he's got a car phone. But he gets uh, a creepy phone call from what sounds like his girlfriend's voice, but then the voice turns ghost. Um, And Ghost Voice says that he's outside his girlfriend's window and he wants to play a game. And the Ghost Face, the Ghost Voice asks Cotton where Sydney is. And the girlfriend is um, the woman who played Serena's mom in Gossip Girl. Um, She gets out of the shower. Very uh, stab, you know. But we don't see anyone naked. We don't see anyone naked in the entirety of the Scream series. In fact, I think the most sensual thing that happens is probably you know when we see like the back of like Sydney taking off her bra in the first movie but it's like nothing and then in like the fourth movie we see a girl in a bra for like a minute like it's very not that but anyway I just she's getting out of the shower regardless you know and puts on a little nightgown and then like the radio starts blasting in the other room and like there's nothing scarier than that um and she goes to turn it off But then, like, she hears Cotton's voice from behind the wall, and she's, like, trying to talk to him. But then Ghostface pops up, and he gets her, um, and he's, like, he has, like, a voice changer to, like, make himself sound like all these different people, I guess. And now Cotton gets home, and Christina's still alive, but she's, like, terrified because he was just saying these, like, awful things to her, she thinks. Um, And so he tries to, like, talk to her and comfort her because he, like, literally just got home, and she's just, like, fighting him away. But then Ghostface pops up behind them again um, and then uh, stabs Cotton and uh, her, too. You know, there's, like, a whole fight scene, but he gets both of them. Um, And that's the first scene. So basically what we know about our killer so far is that they have a voice changer. So the technology has improved, but, you know, not so much. And also we're in Hollywood. And also our killer doesn't know where Sydney is and is trying to find her. So that's where we're at. Sydney is living in the middle of nowhere with her dog in this big house where she like works from home as like a crisis line advocate using an alias, right? She's off the grid as you can be. Um, And then Gail, (laughs) one thing about Gail (laughs) is uh, Courtney Cox famously has really bad bangs in this movie. And I gotta say, I do not hate them. They're very short and jagged. They're like, they're like uneven micro bangs. Um, but like then she just has like a medium length, like straight hairstyle and like a regular hair color, not like these weird highlights shit she's done before. So honestly, so far, I think it's her best look. I think I think it's kind of cute, honestly. And Sydney just has like the bob just grown out like an inch or two. <laughs> um, and oh, my God. So. I always forget, but Patrick Dempsey plays a very sexy detective. I mean, he he just plays a detective, right? But Patrick Dempsey is very sexy, right? So um, he's he's in this one as well. Um, And he breaks the news to Gail that Cotton has died and she shares or he shares classified information with her, um, which includes the fact that a photo of Maureen Prescott, Sydney's mom, was found on uh, the person that was killed or, or found on Cotton, found on Cotton's person. And basically what we know is that right now Stab 3 is in production and <laughs> um, this is kind of going to be bad PR for that or really good PR. I don't know. It's really hard to say. 
But the Stab 3 cast includes Emily Mortimer, Parker Posey, Jenny McCarthy. (laughs) And all of these people have like, you know, different character names in the movie, right? But it's just... It's awesome. Um, and Dewey is uh, really close with the cast. He's like consulting on the movie, I guess. Um, but he's just like a fame whore. And he has gotten really close to Parker Posey's character, uh, Jennifer, I believe her name is. And she's the one that's playing Gail Weathers. So <laughs> Dewey has lost the real Gail Weathers, but he has found a uh, pretty hot and young stand-in for her. So good for him. Um and we're in Hollywood, right? We're on the back lots and Jay and Silent Bob even make a cameo. Like it was, um, this was a weird time in Hollywood, I think. Um, and another thing that's weird about this movie is that Sydney has a lot of freaky dreams featuring her mother's ghost. Um, so we have like, we know her mom is going to come into play in a big way in the finale because we're finding photos on all the victims of her mother, uh, when she was like young and also because like she's having dreams about her. Right. Um, and I also want to note, like in the last movie, they made the connections between the victims names because like there were Stevens and Maureen and Casey and, um, then Randy died, which that was an old character, so that doesn't count. Um, then the cops were killed, so that doesn't really count. Holly, Derek, Mickey. Um, I don't know if there's anything there, but I do want to note that, like, the first victim, and this one was Christine, and that's kind of close to Casey. I don't know. Um, actually, let me come back to this at the end, because it's like, as as I as you go on, there are a lot more um, similarities, but, um, I'll, I'll point them, I'll point them out as we get there. Right. Okay. Um, but anyway, so Jenny McCarthy's character shows up to set because apparently the director whose name is Roman, um, he said that he needed to meet her there. So, um, she's on set and she's like in these offices, but he's not there. And he calls and says that he's running late and wants to run lines with her. Um, but then he starts saying some really gross and like fucked up shit. And she like hangs up on him and she tries to leave the studio. Um, and then she hides in this room, like full of ghost face costumes until he like reveals himself and stabs her a lot um so that's our first death is uh jenny mccarthy's character her name is sarah um and then after that we learn that um um dewey and gail are chatting and we find out that like they were together for a while but she you know moved on to bigger and better things but he tells her that someone called the police department from stab three someone from stab three asking about sid's file and then someone broke into the records room looking for it so again we have someone who is looking for sydney and so they go over to like the cast of stab three's house to you know try to figure out who they're dealing with and um it seems like they're being killed in the order that they die in the movie script jennifer like believes that she's next um but also they said that there are apparently three different scripts And so there's really, you know, it could be three different people that are next. So it's really like, who fucking knows? But there was another photo of Maureen Prescott found on Sarah's body after she died. And uh, apparently there was a statue in Roman's office, like an award where like the head was broken off. And Roman thinks that he's the next target because that's what happened. So everyone is like looking at each other. Everyone's like less like... Ooh, who could this be? And more like, um, who's next at this point, I think. 
but yeah, but it's, it's a lot more of that like classic redirection, you know, like Emily Mortimer's character, she was wearing like these, these big boots that look like the killers. And then she's like stealing a costume from set, even though the movie's gotten shut down. And it's like, what do you want with a mask? And she's like, it's like a souvenir, you know? And it just looks very suspicious, but she eventually dies. So like... Nothing really happened there. But um, Jennifer, the one who's playing Gail, she's like clinging to Gail because she thinks she'll be safer that way. And it's kind of cute. They're like a they're like a duo. They look out for each other. Um, but her bodyguard gets killed and his name is Stephen. Isn't that familiar? Just like Stephen Orth and just like the first killer in Scream 2. The first killer or no, the first. <laughs> sorry. Just like the first victim in Scream 1 and Scream 2. Um, next, we have uh, a guy who dies like in an explosion. He like gets everyone out of the house except for this one guy. Um, and he explodes and he like Ghostface is like feeding them the script through like a fucking fax machine. It's it's so weird. It's very year 2000, I guess. Um, and then um, we see they like go back into the house and like Roman goes like down into this basement. And then like shortly after that, like um, Jennifer follows and like sees him in there. But he's like dead. He's like a corpse. He's like he's dead. Um <laughs> But then, like, so Gail and Dewey, like, once they finally show up to the house. So at some point, Sydney shows up because she got a call from the killer, like, on her crisis line. And so she was like, I'm not safe anywhere. I need to, like, be here and, uh, you know, make sure everyone's okay. You know, she has, like, this relationship, this, like, kind of flirtation ship with the detective. But also, you know, she doesn't trust anyone. Um, so he's like keeping her safe, but then she's like, no, fuck this. I really need to just like go do this myself because like the killer calls her and basically like coaxes her out of the police station, coaxes her out of safety, you know, isn't that always the way? And so that's how everyone like ends up in the same house at the same time. But basically you will never guess how it ends. Probably. Um, Ghostface reveals himself to be Roman, the director. He says that him and Sydney um, are two halves of the, or like two sides of the same coin or something, or two halves of the same person. Um, he says that uh, he was looking for a mother named Rena Reynolds. And earlier in this movie, we found out that um, Maureen Prescott had a little stint in Hollywood under a stage name, Rena Reynolds. But basically, she was assaulted by um, this guy named John Milton um, and, you know, a series of other like disgusting like producers or whatever in Hollywood who were exploiting her. Um, and she ended up getting pregnant and having a baby and leaving town. Right. And that baby is Roman, right? So Maureen left this baby and then left town and went and had a different life. She had Sydney. And then according to Roman, uh, Roman, when he was like a teenager, I guess he went and like sought his mom and she rejected him. She told him, you know, I have a life here. I'm not Rena Reynolds. Rena Reynolds is dead. Um, so, you know, get out of here. But, you know, he knew she was lying. He, like, found out that she was, you know, his mom. Um, and he, like, stalked her and spied on her and took video of her and found out that about, like, all of her affairs and everything. And he showed it to Billy Loomis. And that's when Billy Loomis and Stu 
got together to uh, plan to murder Maureen because, you know, Billy had footage of his dad going to see Maureen, right? So it all started with Roman. And so I was wrong before about saying that Billy and Stu were the only ones who really played the long game because really Roman played the longest game of all because apparently he... (laughs) He planted the seed for Maureen's murder, but then the way Sydney got so famous out of everything, like this is like his half sister, and he was just like rejected and forgotten about, and now Sydney has like gotten all this fame um, because of the stab movies or whatever, and he's like, and like, where's my fame? And it's like, dude, you were like directing one of the movies, um, but I guess that just really wasn't enough for him. Um, so he pulls John Milton out of the closet, this guy that like assaulted Sydney's mother. And he's like, look, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm, well, he like slices his throat in front of Sydney, but he says that like that he's going to plant it on Sydney because like basically Sydney went on a rampage against everyone that, um, had anything to do with like, um, her mother. Right. So like this guy, Milton, who assaulted her mom and, you know, also Cotton who had an affair with her. And all these, like, actors uh, just because of the Stab movie, I guess. I don't know. The motive that he wants to plant on her is kind of unclear. Um, But either way, he will not prevail. They fight for a while. There's a lot of, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of cat and mouse. That's basically uh, this whole movie. And, you know, I, I said at the beginning that this wasn't my favorite. It's not my least favorite. I don't know. I guess I'll do a ranking at the end. Um, cause I don't, I don't hate any of them, but I guess this one is probably the corniest, but Roman is also probably one of the most interesting killers, which is why I wish that like he had been, uh, fleshed out more in like every aspect, but you know, what are you going to do? Right. Um, we get some more cute gooey moments. Um, Gail and Dewey, they get a house next door to Sydney and uh, Dewey proposes to Gail by hollowing out her book and putting a ring inside. Um, And by the time they had uh, filmed this movie, by the way, Courtney Cox and David Arquette were already married. So this is very cute. And they like all have movie nights together with the hot detective Patrick Dempsey and Sydney just isn't scared anymore. And it's so cute. But flash forward but 11 years. So Scream 4, as I said before, is my favorite, uh, with the exception of the original. My favorite second to the original. Um, probably just because it was the first one I ever saw, but also just because it's such like a hearkening back to the original um, in a way that I appreciate a lot more than the current reboot. Like, I don't know if they were planning to reboot when this happened, but obviously it failed because they didn't do another one for another 10 years. And then, you know, these two came out, uh, in 2022 and 2023. And so I feel like another one is coming next year. That's really going to round out this like reboot trilogy. But, um, the screen for 2011 was, um, just kind of standalone, but I thought it was really good. I thought it, I thought it did the homage well without like beating you over the head with it, the way it's done in the most recent two movies. But anyway, um, so let's get into it. Let's get into our, uh, opening scene, my favorite opening scene, which is, um, star studded. We got Lucy Hale and Sinead Grimes Beach 
and classic ghost face phone call but also one of the girls has like a facebook stalker and like they turn out to be the same person obviously um and the home phone does not look that different than it looked in 1997 but now they also have a, a, a clicky little cell phone too um, and it's like very obvious, uh, from this little scene that there are two killers because, uh, each of them get got by a different person, uh, in quick succession. But then we see a title screen stab six, oop, fake out. It's not actually scream yet. <laughs> so now we have Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell sitting on the couch and Kristen Bell, like they have just watched, you know, the Lucy Hale thing happen. Um, and Kristen Bell likes it. She says she likes horror movies, something scary about, or no, she likes slasher movies because, you know, it's like the idea that a guy can just snap is extra scary. And Anna Paquin is being super bitchy. She's just like, I hate this derivative meta bullshit. Like, and I just like, I don't want to hear like these teenagers dissect horror movies all the time. And I don't know why these sequels don't stop. It just keeps recycling the same shit. And there's no element of surprise. And then Kristen Bell takes a huge ass fucking knife and reaches over and stabs her in the stomach and says, did that surprise you? And now shut the fuck up and watch the movie. And then she turns to the TV and she clicks it. And then the title screen comes up and it says, ah, stab seven. <laughs> so we're still not there yet. Now we have Amy Teagarden, who at the time was very famous for Friday Night Lights. And since then, I don't think it's done anything at all. And Britt Robertson, who I'm not even sure what she's famous from besides this. Um, anyway. They're in a house, a house just like the other two houses, a cookie cutter, rich, white, suburban, white, white house. And so, so what is, the, what are these characters names? <laughs> Let me see. Ginny and Marnie. So Ginny like calls Marnie on the phone with the ghost face app as a prank. So we're in smartphone territory now. We got apps. Um, and you know, Marnie gets mad, but then it like, turns real and Ghostface actually calls and is like taunting them and um Marnie gets like stabbed and thrown through the window but Ginny like gets like chased out through the garage and she's like stabbed and then she's like crawling out but then Ghostface like turns the garage door on and it comes down on her back which is an obvious you know like reference to the way Tatum was killed but it's not like the exact way Tatum was killed so I appreciated that homage but that was our opening scene. Like, we're in it. So, like, these two girls, like, went to high school with the main plot. But, like, that's, like, really their only connection. You know, they were, like, tertiary friends. So, just like the original, you know? And so, the day that news would hit, like, the morning of, uh, would also be the day that Sydney Prescott returns to Woodsboro with bangs to promote her new book, out of darkness where she you know takes back her narrative or whatever and her publicist is a perky bitchy little Allison Brie oh my god I love her she's like she's nasty she's like she's like she's like a little Gail Weathers <laughs> but she's in Woodsboro on the anniversary of the killings and now uh shit is happening again it's bad news bears um Dewey Dep not Deputy Dewey anymore. He's now Sheriff Dewey. He wakes up in bed next to Gail. They've been married for a long time. Um, Gail has writer's block. 
because she's trying to write fiction, but, you know, she's only good at writing, like, trashy true crime stories. Um, and Dewey has a, like, a, a plucky little blonde partner named uh, Deputy Judy. And then we meet, like, the cast of characters. We've got Hayden Panettiere, who plays Kirby, whom I love. I love Kirby so much. She is so cute. She's got this, like, short blonde hairdo, um, and she loves horror movies. So, um, looking to a mirror bitch um and then we have emma roberts character uh her name is jill she's insanely boring she has boring hair boring clothes boring everything boring um and then we have olivia who's really really hot and yeah they're driving down the car and basically we find out that jill has a boyfriend who you know wants her forgiveness because she dumped him or no because like he like i don't know he's they slept together and then he slept with someone else and so now she's just like I will never take you back um and that's the thing um but Kirby is like weirdly excited to meet Sydney who happens to be Jill's aunt hmm familial connection interesting um so Jill is the niece of Sydney right which is just interesting because we find out now that Maureen Prescott had a sister um and I just I just I just don't buy that <laughs> because I feel like that's information we should have had from um, movie one, especially if that sister lives in Woodsboro. Are you kidding me? It's just too much of a coincidence. And I just don't like that shit. We have the source material. We could we could be a little bit more creative without like being so inventive. But anyway, in this like phone call on the way to school, they get like a creepy, a creepy ghost face call. And um, they hadn't even like heard what happened yet. They're going to find out later at school. Um, but we meet like the school video geeks who are, um, Robbie and Charlie and Charlie is played by a very young Rory Culkin. Um, he's like the very like sulky moody sidekick and he's very into Kirby and they have got this like flirtation thing going on. Right. And Adam Brody, our villain from last week is back this week as one of the cops, right? Evidence of the most recent killing is found in Sydney's car. It's like found in the back of her rental car, like blood and a knife and a bunch of other stuff. So she cannot leave town. And once again, everyone is a suspect. So there is a lot of tension between like deputy Judy um and gail because gail just like wants to get her nose and everything and no one likes that like even her husband and she's like dewey why don't you let me help like we helped solve these things and it's crazy that she says that because they've never solved anything they've just like been there they've just like been sydney's like emotional support team and like they haven't like done anything to protect her or anyone at all <laughs> like that when the killer wants to reveal himself he will like they've never done anything to help but you know gail's gonna Gail's gonna worm her way to the front regardless. Um, the publicist, now that she's like learned about what happened, uh, Alison Bree's character, she's like really giddy about the PR. So, you know, she's just evil. Um, so Sydney is staying with her aunt, you know, who we didn't know existed until now, and her niece, um, you know, and Jill's boyfriend, Trevor, the one who, you know, they hate right now. He snuck in through her window and he's still cluing for forgiveness. So then we see like Deputy Judy. She's being mad creepy. She claims that she and Sydney were in drama together, but Sydney like can't remember it all. And it's like, neither can I. And it's like, why couldn't they like actually pull someone from the first movie? I guess, you know, like it's just all extras or whatever, but I, I don't know. It's just still like this in a way is like inventing the plot, but it's also like planting like motive, you know? But anyway, Jill and Kirby are hanging out and they're watching Shaun of the Dead and Olivia gets home 
like right next door and they literally have like cops outside front lawn and while they're on the phone with olivia ghostface calls the other phone whoever other's cell phone from trevor's number and he asks how the movie is and he says he's standing in the closet and you know kirby is like looking at the closet like there's absolutely no way and she opens it and there's no one in there but he's like i didn't say it was in your closet and so then we see like across the way Ghostface pops out of Olivia's closet and kills her and you know Jill and Kirby are just like watching from the window and it's like real gross like this is probably like the grossest like her guts are all spilly outy but yeah but then they like they and Sydney like run next door to like try and stop him to no avail obviously um Jill gets a scratch on her arm like a uh like a, a superficial wound, you know, just like right on her forearm. Like, hmm, where have I seen this movie before? But um, then, of course, Trevor shows up out of the blue, as the boyfriend always does. And Robbie and Charlie show up as well, being obnoxious. They're like video blogging as they always are. Like, Robbie, no, wait. Yeah, Robbie wears this like headset thing. Um, but Gail also shows up, you know, she's the media. She gets chummy with the little film nerds because, you know, she's like take me to the local nerds take me to the buffs I need to know like who's who is interested in recreating stab because that seems to be like what's happening right now and it's also like like yeah you're on the right track but it's like girl if only you knew you're talking to one of them right now and maybe she does know that maybe she does know but she I feel like every movie they always make the mistake of like trusting people in the inner circle because they feel like oh like all these people are in danger of being killed and it's like yeah a half of them are but the other half are probably like the ones doing the killing so I don't know why she like uh, doesn't get that um so after this like attack Sydney and Jill like go to the hospital just get checked out and everything and Rebecca the publicist shows up trying to like squeeze more money out of Sydney and Sydney tells her to fuck off and she fires her and so then Rebecca goes to the parking garage to get her car big mistake nothing scarier than a parking garage um she gets a call from Ghostface and then you know chased and murdered and thrown off of the structure onto a like news van right below where Dewey is giving a press conference right saying like oh everything's fine and then not so much um so like the next day at the film club they're explaining that um basically laying out the rules saying that this time it's more of a remake um and and less of a sequel um but the new thing like if the killer really wants to be new and inventive he needs to be like recording his art which is like why wasn't roman doing that like wasn't he a filmmaker i just i feel like scream three and honestly all of them miss opportunities in the way they like set up this like meta stuff to happen but then like don't really carry it out to its fullest because we never really see like like even through this movie like the thing is that Ghostface like yeah actually is like recording his kills and putting them online but we don't see any of those recordings like we just see like the movie version which is fine we don't need to like see people die twice but I just think it's interesting that we don't really see that side of it at all or like who that audience is you know I just leaves me curious I guess but anyway they explain that they're literally having a stabathon that night stabathon literally you know just a marathon of all the stab movies which at this point are like seven but it's also like confusing like is five six because of the way the like <laughs> like the scene at the beginning with like the movie within a movie it's like which is which like I don't know but they've made a bunch of them at this point and so 
Gail is ob- obviously like, well, I got to be there. I got to be at the where all you movie freaks are going to be tonight. Um, but they won't give her the address. But she's Gail Weathers. She'll find out where it is anyway. And it's basically just a tricked out barn with a projector. And, you know, everyone's drinking and yelling at the screen like it's Rocky Horror. Um, and Gail is like setting up cameras out there. Um, and she tells Dewey where it is. And he like eventually comes out to find her. But before he can get there... Ghostface has stabbed her in the shoulder and it's very much a reference to like the first movie because she set up these cameras and then she's like going to like fix them and Dewey is like watching the footage in her car and he's like oh my god he's right behind you um but while she's up there like fixing her own cameras so she can like spy on the party as she did in the first movie, Ghostface has also like set up his own cameras so that he can record them. But again, we never really see the other side of that. So it just seems like a like a silly detail. Maybe it's just a red herring, but also to what? I don't I don't get it. Ghostface stabs her in the shoulder. And then we see the uh, the cops that are sitting outside of Sydney's house. They're just chatting and talking about how they're probably going to die because they're cops in a horror movie. And so inevitably they do, they die. Um, And one of the cops names is literally Anthony Perkins. So there you go. Psycho. Um, (laughs) But Ghostface calls Sydney and teases that he's going to go after Jill. um, And she goes up and checks on Jill and Jill isn't in her room. She snuck out and then Jill's mom gets home and they run to try to find her. But then like, uh, they see Ghostface at the door and when they like shut the door to lock him out like the mom like leans up against the door like with her head against the mail slot and Ghostface like stabs her through the mail slot it's so gross and then Deputy Hicks shows up and is like what's going on I saw the cops outside and um, Sydney just like leaves her there because you know she can't trust a bitch um, and she goes to find Jill on her own and all the kids are at an after party at Kirby's house and Kirby and Charlie are flirting like they're movie nerds and they're talking about movies and they're getting into it and honestly they're very hot um but trevor shows up claiming that jill invited him but jill claims that she didn't and robbie is like drunkenly like live streaming as he does and he gets killed and then sydney shows up and she tries to help jill and kirby escape um and jill hides under the bed and kirby and sydney go down into the basement and charlie is like banging on the like sliding glass door because I said there's always going to be a sliding glass door and he's banging on it with his like bloody hands and Kirby like isn't sure if she can trust him so she doesn't let him in but then the killer comes up behind him and then he like takes him and he tapes him to a chair and he puts tape on his mouth just like just like fucking um Stephen Orth right and then you know calls Kirby does the ghost face thing you know asks her to do movie trivia she does it she kills it and she runs outside to save Robbie and she takes a tape off his face and she undoes his hands and he takes a knife and stabs her right in the gut. It's Robbie. He d- Correction, this is actually Charlie. Is this Is this the first kill that happens like without a mask on? I feel like no. But maybe? I don't know. Either way, gag of the century, right? He turned it on her. So uh, he stabs her a couple times in the stomach, leaves her. And basically also says that, like, I can't believe you just noticed me now. Like, you bitch. Like, he's got his own issues. Like, and maybe that's why he did it without the mask on. Because he's like, this is actually a little bit personal. And, like, very yikes. But anyway. So basically, Ghostface finds Sydney. Stabs her before 
revealing herself. And who is under the mask, if not Jill? Yep, her niece, Jill. The thing about the motives is there's always one that has a familial tie, and there's always one who's like actually incidental. And so here, like the familial tie is Jill and the incidental one would be, um, would be Charlie, um, who totally got taken for a ride because, um, after, uh, Jill reveals their evil plan that they're going to be the survivors, the ones who get all the glory, you know, Sydney and Randy, which like spoiler alert, Randy dies after that. Um, you know, they do the thing that, uh, Billy and Stu do where they, you know, stab each other, you know, instead of going for his shoulder, she goes right for his heart because Jill needs to be the sole survivor. She is fame hungry. She couldn't stand growing up in her insanely famous aunt's shadow. And so, um, this is her way of making it about her. She's going to frame everything on her cheating her vast boyfriend Trevor um, who by the way she shot in the dick and then shot in the head um, and the plan is to frame him the way that I guess Billy and Stu were originally planning to frame Sydney's dad and so she stabs Sydney I guess thinks she kill her, kills her but then like the grossest stuff is when she has to like do like self-inflicted wounds that to me is the goriest and so and maybe that's why this movie also like takes it over the top because it's like she like she shoulders herself with a knife she like scratches her head she like throws herself on a table it's just it's awful she just lays down next to Sydney and like she's you know perfectly set the scene and she's just ready for the fame and it's true like there's already like newscasters like dozens of them outside the hospital waiting for her statement saying her name and inside the hospital we've got you know we've got the the re-finale because um Jill thinks that she killed Sydney and upon learning that she didn't has to go after her while she's like in this hospital bed Jill is talking to Dewey and says that you know she and um Gail should write a book together because you know now they have like matching wounds referring to the fact that they both got stabbed in the shoulder and Dewey is like, oh, that's cute. And he goes goes to his wife and is like, listen to what she said. She's like, how did she know I was stabbed in the shoulder? How did she know that? That is a great question. So they go to find Jill. And Jill has already, like, made her way to Sydney's room and is trying to, like, finish the job. Because Dewey also spilled the beans that Sydney is probably going to make a full recovery. And Jill is like, nope, we can't. We can't be having that. So... <laughs> she's fighting Sydney in the hospital and you know Dewey and Gail and Deputy Hicks all show up you know Deputy Hicks gets shot but you know of course she's wearing a bulletproof vest so like she's good in the end but you know down for the count and um you know Jill like smacks Dewey over the head with a bedpan um and then um Gail like takes like the um the defibrillator is that what it's called the thing you use on someone's chest when you say clear um, takes that to her fucking head, like to the sides of her head. You know, of course they always come back. So you gotta, you gotta shoot her in the head. Yeah. It was very Halloween too, you know, like the final, the final hospital scene. I did think it went on a little bit longer than it should have, but again, like as far as like stacked up to the rest of them, I think Scream 4 is just, 
It's just really so good, really so good. But then after this, like between 2011 and 2022, we did have Scream, the TV series on MTV, which had three seasons. I watched the first season. I did like it with the exception of the like student teacher relationship because it's like, my God, stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Like how many times do we have to see this shit over and over? And it's like every time I see it, I feel like the girl gets like younger and also more sexualized and it's like we got to start him at 15 so we can keep him in high school for three whole seasons but oh yeah one of them also she has to be having a totally you know hot affair with a teacher that like everyone's like jealous of or whatever I just like stop it (laughs) stop with that storyline I'm like we, we shouldn't have put up with it in Pretty Little Liars and I won't put up with it now but anyway aside from that I liked it I thought it was scary I I want to see like a scary television series done well and also like stay that way consistently has yet to be done uh willing to you know debate that I guess I don't know I got to the end of season one and you know we got some answers but then they like teased all these other questions where it was like actually maybe nothing you knew is right and everything is different and everything is wrong and we have to juice this for five seasons so fuck you and your continuity um and so then I didn't even bother watching uh after that after the first season but I'm interested to hear anyone else's like experience with that so go you know to my website go to the blog tell me what you think but after that in 2022 talk about a comeback scream no scream five no roman numeral no number just scream and why would they do that just to piss me off <laughs> just to piss me off i i hated it when they did it with the final destination and i hate it now at least they didn't call it the scream or something like that and you know even in the logo it kind of looks like there's a v um which would indicate a five but that is in every scream not just this one so that doesn't even that doesn't even cut it and i'm just why did they do that and they even make a joke about that in the movie like apparently stab eight was just called stab and everyone hated it and i'm like why would you like it's not worth the gag (laughs) it's not worth the gag if you're going to come back exactly one year later and call it scream roman numeral six like fuck you but anyway this is another um breaking the mold with the uh with the opening scene which i don't like i like the classic opening scene where it's a character that uh we don't know and only has like like a tertiary connection to the rest of the characters but no we see Jenna Ortega in the opening scene and the thing is it's like it should be it should be exactly like Drew Barrymore she should die within the first five minutes and it's a gag you know because it's Jenna Ortega and no one is more fucking famous in horror than Jenna Ortega right now except maybe Mia Goth um and like but no we gotta we gotta let her live throughout the whole franchise and that's fine if you want her to be the new franchise darling that's like totally fine but kill someone else in the first five minutes like I don't know you know and I guess that was like the ultimate way to subvert expectations was by not having an opening kill scene by actually having that character live the whole time and be like very wounded the entire time but um I don't know I just I didn't I don't like that but anyway it's um it's ghost face calling you know um they are talking about horror movies but she is more into elevated horror you know like she loves the babadook and you know fucking midsummer and hereditary or whatever and she doesn't really like the stab movies but she's definitely seen them um and 
then like Ghostface sends videos where he he acts like he's in her friend Amber's closet and is like you need to like play a game with me or Amber's gonna get it and so he asked her about stab movies and he asked her like who was the killer in stab and she said oh I know this Billy Loomis and he's like nope that's wrong it was Billy Loomis and Stu Mocker and like you dumb bitch and anyway and then he's like how do you think I made it inside your house um and he pops out and he stabs her a lot like oh and then he like he like steps on her leg and breaks it awful hated it um and stabs her through the hand oh my god it's like awful and then we get the title screen scream and of course there are some new main characters but it's only a matter of time before Dewey, Gale, and Sydney show up so don't worry. But we meet Sam played by Melissa Barrera. Um, she works at a bowling alley with her boyfriend Richie who's played by Jack Quaid. Um, and Sam gets a call from a guy named Wes. Obvious nod to Wes Craven who died um, after Scream 4 actually. Yeah he died in 2015 so RIP. Um, but Wes's character is played by Dylan Minette of 13 reasons why or uh the bell the band the wallows um and he's got like like bleached tips in this movie like it's 2002 i don't know what that's about um but anyway he calls sam and says that tara was attacked and she's alive but she's in bad shape so basically her this girl's little sister went to woodsboro high we don't really know why she doesn't live there anymore but she and her boyfriend are gonna go to woodsboro to check on her um, but at Woodsboro High, this like Amber girl that was in danger is totally fine. Um, and we also meet the friends. There's Mindy and Chad who are twins. And then there's this girl, Liv, who has pink hair. Right. And then the sheriff is at school and it's Deputy Judy from before. But now she's the sheriff. She's Sheriff Judy. And Wes is her son. And this guy's supposed to be what? 16, 17. And yet 10 years ago, we had no idea that this that this deputy was a mother of like a seven-year-old boy like come on stop inventing shit I, d I don't buy it why couldn't she have had a seven-year-old son yeah because you don't want to kill children that's bad obviously but like why do they have to be related at all it does that's the thing with this movie the ties it's so tedious like everyone has to be related to someone else like that's the whole thing with this movie like those are the connections that are being made here and it's just it's boring and it's I don't believe it and for one thing, we've got this character who's played by fucking Kyle Gallner, a.k.a. Colin Gray from Jennifer's Body. Hello, another friend from last week. Um, he is like he plays this like totally disgusting scumbag. And he's just like leaned up next to this Mustang looking gross, preying on high schoolers. And he actually happens to be our first victim. Like he's out like or our first yeah, our first real death of the whole movie. Because um, he's out and he's like playing pool. And for some reason, all these high schoolers are out playing pool at a bar too. But he's like hitting on Liv and it's gross because obviously she's in high school. Um, and he goes outside to like piss on a wall. And then like Ghostface like drives up behind him and like flashes him with his headlights. And then like kills him as the song uh, Red Right Hand plays on the radio. Which is a song that plays in every single movie sometimes usually actually more than once but it's the same thing they're all going around trying to figure out who the killer is but it's so like overwrought at this point and it just uh, I'm just like irritated by it because like we go to Mindy and Chad's place and these these kids are twins and their mom is uh their mom is Randy's sister and we actually met her in the last movie 
and forgive me, I don't know the actress's name, but she's the one who plays um, Lily on The Princess Diaries, right? That girl. She played Randy's sister in Scream 3 in a very lame, short-lived role, and it's like, I don't even know why. It was weird. And then she comes back just to be these kids' mom and say one line in this movie. And here's the thing. We've got all these, like, ethnically ambiguous children, and we don't see their parents. We don't see their non-white parents <laughs> ever. And I just think that's interesting because it's like we've got Sam and Tara, and um, spoiler alert, except not really, uh, Sam's dad is Billy Loomis, right? So white, white, white. And then, like, her mom is someone who's just, like, out of the country, you know, at this point in time, right? And then we've got the twins who are, like, light-skinned, and then we see their mom who is white, 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 and we don't see their dad. And, like, they don't even mention him. They don't even say he's dead. They just, he just doesn't exist. And it's like, what are we doing? What are we doing with that? Um, but anyway, they're all looking at each other. Everyone's a suspect. But, like, Mindy is very much like the horror movie nerd. You know, she definitely got that from her uncle. And they're just, they're all, you know, pointing the fingers at each other. But um, we learn that Kyle Gallner's character, um, he was Stu's nephew. So he was Stu Mocker's nephew, right? So then the next victim is probably going to be someone that is related to the original. And hello, who would be easier for that than, you know, uh, Chad or Mindy? But they are going to live until the end of the next movie. So get attached to them. They are here for the fucking franchise. Um, But actually next uh, we have uh, Sheriff Judy. So she is going to just pick up some sushi for her and her son, Wes and um you know Wes gets in the shower and by the time he gets out his mom has like uh been killed she got a call from Ghostface saying that he was gonna kill him you know her son and so she runs back home and gets killed like in her fucking front driveway in broad daylight stabbed a bunch of times um and then Wes gets like stabbed through the neck like right after that and so there we go. We like our next deaths are people like from the original, like not even from the original because Judy has only been here since Scream 4. But technically she went to Woodsboro High during the original killings. So technically she was there when everything originally went down. And, you know, Wes was her son. But I don't know. Every time they try to like uh, f- set a pattern in these movies, they break it because they want to subvert expectations. Right. Um, but the biggest thing about <laughs> this reboot here um, is the fact that it's a little bit supernatural. Um, it's a little bit ghosty because Sam here is haunted by the ghost of her father, who I said is Billy Loomis, right? And they reveal this to us like within the first 20 minutes of the movie, which I think is interesting because it might have played out better if you had like sat on that. But also it's just like, why do they have to be related? Like, I'm not interested in like Billy Loomis's kid, but also like now that you mention it, it brings up a lot of questions because like Billy Loomis like uh, plotted and murdered Maureen Prescott and then plotted and murdered a series of other uh, teenagers to like inevitably uh, kill his girlfriend and like frame her father but had a total separate love affair at this time with this woman who said she loved him and who had his baby even after he 
was murdered what like no like who is this woman that we never meet by the way like come on I don't understand that at all and basically Sam like takes antipsychotics but she every once in a while will look into a mirror and see the reflection of her dead serial killing father and you know it like it's like a point of strength for her because it helps her like uh kill the guy who does this but it doesn't help her like catch him you know it doesn't help her like solve the mystery it just helps make sure at the very end she can like stab him a bunch of times and she won't feel like super bad about it you know and it's like I could do without all that I could do without all that I'm just like but anyway so we've got this shithead boyfriend Richie who acts like he doesn't know anything about the stab movies and then at one point Tara's in the hospital and she gets attacked and you know What's his name was just like, oh, just nowhere to be seen and blah, blah, blah. And Dewey and um, Gail are no longer together. They got divorced. And, you know, he still watches her on the TV, do her like little talk show. Um, But he's retired. And, you know, Sam and Tara or no, Sam goes to him um, about Ghostface. But it's also like this dude has never successfully like solved any of these crimes. Like he's just there. he's just there and he lives and and the odds of him surviving more get lower and lower and you know by the way he does die um they take him into the hospital and then they fight Ghostface, and then you know he they go to leave and he realizes he didn't get him in the head and he goes back and you know instead of getting Ghostface, goes it ghost face gets him and that's how it goes <laughs> that's how it just that's how it keeps going so when dewey died pretty um pretty sad and then for our final scene, we're once again at a party, but it can't just be any party. It has to be in the exact same house from the first movie because it's not enough to have an homage. You have to just like, you have to, you have to like choke people out with it. You have to be like, look at this, look at this house. It's the same. Can you believe we made the same set? And it's like, yes, I actually can believe that because that's exactly what you did in Scream 3. But anyway, (laughs) um, they um go to this house which is amber's house because they decide that they're just gonna fucking leave town because they just don't think it's safe to stay and even though gail and everyone is like you can't outrun this um which by the way after dewey dies sydney shows up so that's the thing that gets her to town because before she was like i'm absolutely staying the fuck away but once she found out dewey died she had to go and pay her respects which is like exactly what they wanted you to do Sydney um and so Sam goes to like get get the fuck out of town but Tyra realizes that she doesn't have her inhaler so they need to make a little stopover at Amber's house but Amber of course lives in the house that once belonged to Stumacher and then we basically we've got uh Mindy she's um (laughs) she's wearing a t-shirt that's like love is love and wearing an enamel pin on the t-shirt an enamel pin on the t-shirt like a rainbow enamel pin on the (laughs) t-shirt and she's like you might as well be holding up a sign that says desperate for pussy but anyway we'd love to see it um so you know everyone's accusing everyone of being the killer Liv is like trying to hook up with Chad but like he can't be sure that she's not the killer and so she keeps getting pissed off and like Chad gets like attacked in the yard and then like um, Liv is like talking to Amber and Amber is just like egging her on and Liv is like, I'm not the fucking killer. And Amber just shoots her square in the head and is like, I know. 
I am. And then she's like, it's time for act three, which I guess this is another time that they've, someone's killed without the mask on, but it's like when they're like ready to reveal, I guess is the point. But um, yes, little tiny skinny Amber, who this whole time has been like obsessed with Tara. Like why? Like, of course, Tara has to have her like extra emergency inhaler at Amber's house. Like they're very like, mm, what's going on there? Um, but yeah, but uh, who else would it be? Who, who's the other guy? Richie, the little boyfriend, of course, the love interest that you've only known for six months. Never trust that guy. Never bring him to the scene of the crime. Another thing, actually, this whole movie, I couldn't figure out like at what point Richie killed anybody because he wasn't in town, uh, to attack Tara. He... I guess could have attacked Vince, but it seemed like he was with Sam like the whole movie and Judy and Wes could have been him. I don't know. Um, Dewey, definitely not. Uh, Chad, definitely not. Um, he didn't kill Liv obviously because Amber shot him. So yeah, he like did like none of the murders, but he, you know, takes credit for orchestrating the whole thing because, you know, even though this whole time he acted like he wasn't in the stab movies, he says that he actually had to, you know, remake stab eight because they, they did it all. They did it all wrong and no one, you know, respects the originals anymore. And it's just like, it's just a lame motive. You know, but yeah, it's like that's really your like serial killing motive is just like saving the franchise. And it's like interesting because in the first movie, they kind of like lead you to believe that that's what it is, that it's just like movie freaks who have like, you know, you know, Sydney says you've seen one too many movies. And he's like, oh, movies don't make psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. And um, he's like, you know, it's a lot scarier when you don't have a motive, isn't it? But Billy had a motive. He had a motive the whole time. Richie and Amber, their only motive is movies and the love of the franchise. And it's just, um, it's just fucking lame. And I guess they're also planning to like, uh, frame Sam, you know, because they know she's like the daughter of a serial killer, but, um, they don't fucking get away with it. And they, uh, at one point, like Amber, like catches on fire and I don't know, it just, the kills in this, or the killing of like the ghost face in this movie just feels overkill. And you know, they always, they, it's always underkill because they always come back. Right. But it's like this, like seeing this, like, you know, teenage girl, like catch on fire or whatever, and then get like shot in the eye. And then seeing this guy get stabbed a bunch and like, you know, then like (laughs) getting the nod of approval from her serial killing ghost father. It's just like, it's a little bit odd. But, you know, apparently I wasn't wrong to think it was odd because that'll, like, carry on into the next movie. But, yeah, I just don't like the Billy Loomis's ghost thing. I'm just, like, who's that for? If you want to pander to me, you bring back Stu fucking Mocker, okay? I love Matthew Lillard. I love him so much. Like, Skeet Ulrich? I don't need Skeet. I don't need it. <laughs> I seriously don't. So the latest installment of the franchise... Scream 6 with a Roman numeral. They've never used a Roman numeral before. Gotta keep it interesting. <laughs> um, and I went to the theaters to see Scream 2022, um, but they came out with Scream 6 so damn fast after that, and I wasn't like 
that impressed. Like I, seeing like the the sister duo, I like it in theory, in practice, in just like it's falling flat. It's falling flat for me. And like especially with the way this movie went, I know there's going to be another one. Um, I'm hoping that'll be the final installment of the franchise. Because frankly, things are getting tired, things are getting recycled, and I need I need something different. Because, you know, with each of these installments, they're like, whether it's a remake or a sequel or franchise, whatever you want to call it, they keep saying that the body counts are going to get higher and that the deaths are going to get gorier. And frankly, they're not. The body counts are staying like kind of similar the same and like the gore like nothing has been gorier than drew barrymore strung up on that tree with her guts spilling out like the only other guts we saw were olivia's and she was laying on her bed so that's a little bit different and you know it sounds so gross to say but i'm like where is it like when are you going to give it to us for real like it's like (laughs) it's an r rating and you're staying away from the sex and that's cool i'm fine with that but you could give us a little bit more gore and it's like some of the gutting in this movie was a little bit hard to take and there was there was a scene that involved some heights and a shaky ladder which which was really scary to me but it's like you get people on a subway and i'm like i'm fucking terrified of subways like hello have you ever seen house of cards season two episode one i'm terrified of the subway I take it every day, but it's like, it's a scary place to be. And it's like, oh, you know, someone just gets stabbed in a crowd. Like, that's all you're going to give me. Come on. Like, I need more. You're going to give me an entire like shrine for this horror franchise, but you're not going to give me like good deaths. You're not going to give me like a lot of them. I don't know. Like there were some things that this, this, this installment did that were new and inventive, but overall, like uh, you could give me more. I don't know. Um, but anyway, our, we do get a more classic opening scene with this one. And so with this one, we've got, uh, Samara Weaving, who was the lead in, uh, was it ready or not? I never saw that one, but you know, the one where she's wearing a wedding gown and a, and a, and a, and a, and a belt, a belt full of bullets, <laughs> uh, her, um, she's sitting at a bar. She's waiting on a date who's named Richie. Hmm, isn't that a familiar name? And he calls her and acts like he's lost. And she, you know, starts talking about how she's an associate professor teaching film studies, in particular 20th century slasher movies. Um, And so, of course, uh, he asks her her favorite scary movie and she starts rambling about it. But, you know, she's she's very cute. Um, But he gets her to, like, come outside and is like, oh, what does the door look like? Oh, like, maybe I'll see you waving. Oh, like, hey, I'm I'm in this alley. Oh, hey, are you sure you don't see me? Why don't you come deeper into this alley? And so he coaxes her all the way into this alley, essentially. And, you know, because he says that he's being followed by someone with a knife. But then his voice turns ghost. And it's like, wow, you dumb fucking bitch. You really walked into an alley alone is is what he says to her. Um, And then he like pops out and he stabs her repeatedly. But then we get something that we've never got before. He takes off the mask and we see his face in the first five minutes. We see his face. It's this man with a mustache and shoulder length hair. And he ditches the costume and he picks up his backpack and he goes and walks on a college campus. 
And this is the point where I got really excited and I should have tempered my fucking excitement because it's never what I think it's going to (laughs) be. But I was really excited that we were going to get like a different perspective, this movie, that we could actually like maybe go the whole movie knowing who Ghostface is and maybe be the mystery being like how he gets away with it or maybe like who his partner is or I don't know, something else, something a little bit different, especially because like I like if you're going to talk slasher, I think it's a lot more interesting to think about the killer's POV and Ghostface is always behind a mask and so like he doesn't have a lot of like character character traits or like qualities about him that like make him interesting like you can't see him tick until like the final scene and like usually the killers are good and then the final scenes they really show their true colors and like the facade cracks and and it's usually good like I don't think anyone did it better than than Matthew Lillard but like it could be better and um I just thought like seeing it like the full way through would be an interesting uh, character study in the least. Um, But no, he gets home and he gets a call from Ghostface, which by the way, he passes uh, Jenna Ortega, Tara's Tara's character or no, (laughs) he passes Tara, you know, Jenna Jenna Ortega uh, on campus and they like exchange highs like they're friends And he gets home and he calls out to his roommate, but he doesn't answer. Um, And he puts like the bloody mask in his closet next to his other like commemorative stab movie masks. And he washes his hands and then he gets a call from his roommate, but it's ghost voice. And he's like, I thought we wouldn't use the voice with each other. Um, And he was like, tell me what it was like. And well, and apparently like, I don't know, he's this guy is saying that he like needed to get more practice. And so that's why he like killed their, who was their film professor. Like apparently he actually knew her. Um, and he was like, we needed to get, I needed to get more practice. And, uh, ghost voices, like, tell me what it was like. And he's like, every time I stabbed her, it was like, she was less and less human and more animal. And then eventually she was just meat and it's uh, gross. And, um, the guy on the phone was like, but she was a person. She was our film professor. And, you know, who's next in this game? And, you know, um, they go back and forth for a while. But apparently they're going to kill Sam and Tara, quote, to finish Richie's film. Um, and then, you know, the voice says he wants to play a game. Basically, he goes and he opens the fridge and he sees a corpse inside. And it's, you know, his roommate, the guy who he thought he was on the phone with. He's cut up and on to all different kinds of bits. And Ghostface pops up behind him and he's wearing a mask that's like very old and tattered and gross. And he stabs him like multiple times in the stomach and like asks him if he feels like an animal or if he feels like meat. Um, and says that, you know, they have to finish the movie or no, like the guy getting killed is like, we have to finish the movie. And Ghost Ghostface says, who gives a fuck about movies? And then slices him in the throat. And then we get our title screen. Scream 6, Roman numerals over the New York skyline. So basically, um, you kill one Ghostface and another one pops up just like a Hydra. It's like these things, they these people cannot resist like putting on a mask and being disgusting. And it's like, I'm going to need some more. Like I'm going to need someone who's like detached from everyone else because it's like 
you know, all these movies play out and it's like, why does anyone think they could get away with serial killing, you know, the professor who taught them about serial killing? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And I don't know what these guys thought they were going to get away with, but I at least thought it would be interesting to see it from the perspective. But no, now we've got an actual masked ghost face and, you know, we're back to square one with like our whodunit mystery, essentially. So as you may have expect, Tara and Sam are back. Um, they are living in New York City. Tara is going to college. She brought her friends Mindy and Chad with her. And um, Sam, I'm not sure what she's doing, but she is going to the therapy. Um, and she uses the therapy session as a vehicle to explain the plot of what happened in the previous movie. Um, which now includes the details that there has been an online conspiracy theory started. Um, that basically that she orchestrated the whole thing and framed Richie and Amber which it's like at this point would make a lot more sense because every time this happens these people like orchestrate this plan where they plan to frame somebody but then they give they get foiled but they never actually live to tell the tale it's always like the person who's left alive who gets to tell the story and it's like could they be lying like every single time they're gonna say that the other person planned to frame somebody it's like hmm why 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 would you even need to say that maybe you're the one who's planning to frame somebody and i honestly think that would be the gag if like the next movie the two killers turn out to be sam and tara (gasps) did i just call it did i just mm." i mean that's like the only way i think it could work out or gail i think gail would be a great ghost face because like at what point is she gonna fucking crack you know like she's already not right Um, But basically, her therapist turns on her when she, because apparently she hasn't, like, actually talked about what happened this whole time, but now she, like, talks about what happened and how she had to kill Richie, and she mentions that, like, it, quote, felt right, and, like, the therapist basically turns on her and is like, I have to report this to the the authorities, and Sam is like, why? I didn't, like, say I was going to do anything. I don't have tendencies, and it was very weird. It didn't make sense to me at all, but she gets home, and we meet her uh, slutty but sweet roommate named Quinn um, and he, she tells Sam that Tara went to this frat party and you know Sam is pissed about that and Mindy is at the frat party once again flirting with a girl on the couch um, Tara is getting drunk and flirting with this guy and Chad is also there um, but Chad gets into a fight with the guy when he tries to take Tara upstairs and then Sam shows up and tases him in the balls and then like <sighs> I don't know. Chad basically like just saved Tara from like this date rapist and then is like gonna like make a move on her and it's like what is the fuck is happening here? Um and anyway, uh Sam has a love interest in this one too. It's the guy who played the boyfriend on the other two, Josh Sigara, you know, like total himbo energy. Um, so he's in this and his name is Danny. Um and everyone sees what happened on the news and Sam is like okay time to hit the road and um Gail calls Sam on the phone and everyone freezes but doesn't answer it and instead Gwen calls her dad who is a cop the cop talks to Sam on the phone um and apparently her Sam's ID has been found at the scene of the crime and so now uh dead Richie is calling Sam's phone she answers obviously ghost voices on the line saying he killed Jason and Greg before they had a chance to kill them and that they're going to pay for what they did. And then Ghostface shows up and grabs Tara from behind. And so they like run outside and they run into a bodega 
and Ghostface follows in and stabs like two customers in front of everybody and then like takes the shotgun from the shopkeeper and shoots him. Shotguns are scary, man. Um, and then by the time that they leave the bodega, like Ghostface has just disappeared. And it's like, God damn, if I thought it was safe anywhere, it'd be like on a bodega with like dozens of people inside. But people clear out soon when a guy starts stabbing people, apparently. So at the police station, we meet uh, Quinn's dad, the cop. But we also find out that the FBI shows up. And apparently, <laughs> fucking Kirby from Scream 4 works for the FBI now gag of the century um when I saw she was coming back I was very excited because I obviously loved Kirby like she's one of my favorite characters in the whole franchise love 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 Kirby but um she was supposed to have died but I guess they they definitely saved room for her to come back because they only stabbed her in the stomach a couple times so it's really not that far-fetched that she could have been saved and, but unfortunately in this movie, she's got a really bad wig on, like a really, really bad wig. And it's just, it, it is really upsetting to me. Um, but, you know, Sam, of course, like wants to skip town, but, you know, she's a suspect, <laughs> so she cannot. Um, and Kirby is like, listen, like I've been through this and I'm here to help. Then we see the therapist. He is chilling at his house. Um, and the therapist looks like, like a, like a, like a, like a George Clooney wax sculpture, just like too perfect. And like a beard that looks like it's like a, like a wig beard, a big, a weird, a, a bearded wig, a beard wig, a wig beard. Uh, it just looks fake. I don't know. It just looks too perfect. And it's just really jarring to see. I don't know, but he gets murdered. So it's fine. We don't have to look at him for much longer. So now Mindy is going to like geek out about, you know, the rules and like, is this a sequel to the requel? Um, because, you know, Scream 2, a.k.a. Stab 2 also took place in a college. So what are the rules to continuing a franchise? Bigger budget, body count, beheadings, potentially. There were no beheadings in this entire movie. I was waiting and expecting one. Where, where are the rolling heads? Like, come on, we could do better than this. Um, but basically, since the killers in the last movie were like um, nostalgic film geeks, then we can expect the opposite this time. And every character is disposable. Um, and Kirby and the cop are, you know, trying to put together the case. And, you know, Kirby refers to Sam as the prime suspect. And somehow that gets out into the news. Right. But... Sam and Tara are just going to like hunker down and have a sleepover with, you know, Mindy and Chad because apparently they're the core four. Um, but they also like referred to Chad's roommate, Ethan, as a potential suspect slash potential victim before. And so like, why is he not in the room right now? I don't know. Um, and Quinn is like in her bedroom, right? Because she lives there. And then Mindy's like little girlfriend, Annika, is there as well. And they're all like being cute, having a little dinner together, like, oh, we will survive. Um, when they get a text showing that Quinn uh, is being like murdered in the room next to them. And they were like, fuck, we thought she was just like having sex again. Um, but no, they get a picture of her. And like Danny, the like hot guy that Sam is hooking up with, is like, like, they keep saying he lives across the hall, but he lives, like, across this, like, shaft, this, like, alley. So it looks like he lives in, like, the neighboring building, but whatever. I don't understand the architecture in any of these situations. Um, so the killer is in the house, right? And the thing is, it's, like, they're all, like, watching the door while they, like, they know that, like, 
Quinn is being killed on the other side. And it's like, there's like five of you, like five or six of you. You go in there, you take charge, you (laughs) overpower this motherfucker and take off his mask. Like, I don't understand why people keep like pussyfooting around. Like, you know, everyone like acts like they're in a fucking horror movie. They're like, oh, you know, you can't actually like he's a superhuman. And it's like, no, none of the killers have ever turned out to actually be superhuman. They're all human. Half of them are little girls. So just fucking go in there and take the mask off and, you know, end it. Like, make them lose their power. Like, I just don't understand. Like, because it, like, you know, original Scream vibes is, like, girl alone in a house. And it's like, in that scenario, yeah, it's scary. But when there's, like, five of you, why are you all standing around being afraid of one guy? And then running from him? Are you kidding me? You overpower that motherfucker. Like, what are you doing? Especially at the end of this movie when they, like, their little literal plan is to, like, lure him, trap him, and execute him. But when they finally see a ghost face, they just run from it. And it's like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? There's four of you alive right now. (laughs) Why are you running and separating, you dumb idiots? Anyway, you've heard all this before. But, um, but anyway, at some point they get cornered into a room and the only way they could possibly survive is by going across like the alley and they're like five stories up and you know Danny has stretched a ladder between the windows right and so Sam has successfully crawled across and then uh fucking Mindy successfully gets across but then Annika is like the last one to go and she's like already been stabbed like a lot and she's trying to make her way across and then like Ghostface like pops up behind her um and starts like shaking the ladder until she falls off and she like hits her head on the way down and it's awful Uh, and I'm like so afraid of heights like that one really got to me and that was really sad and like there was a cute little like kiss between um Annika and Mindy before Annika died and it was just made it so sad but yeah basically um when morning time comes uh Gail Weather shows back up because of course she does um and then the cop shows up and he you know, has to like see the crime scene where his daughter died. And he mentioned something about how like now both of his kids are gone. And it's like, I don't know what you're talking about there. Um, but you know, Gail shows up followed by Kirby and Gail says that she knows where the masks are coming from. And apparently Gail was able to find all this out, but not the bitch who works at the actual FBI. Um, and says that like the guys from before Jason and Greg, um, they, uh, they're from Atlanta, but so is Kirby originally. So it's, that's another weird connection where it's like, hmm, what's going on there? Um, but like they have this whole shrine, like they've basically saved like all the evidence from like all the crimes. They've got all of the ghost face costumes and all the ghost face masks from all of the killers. But yeah, masks, robes, murder weapons, um, all kinds of shit. And you know, uh, I had the question, like, how do they have all this, which is obviously evidence, and Courtney Cox very soon answers that for us. She says, you know, cops can be bribed, and, you know, touche. Um, but Billy Loomis's costume is, like, behind glass, and when Sam sees it, she, like, sees his reflection in the glass, and it's, like, the first time she's, like, seen her, you know, daddy ghost in a while. Um, and by the way, he looks to have gotten a little bit more work done since then. Um, and she like longingly touches the glass and, uh, it's like kind of creepy cause you know, Tara comes up and is like, what the fuck are you doing? And then Kirby and Mindy bond over their love of horror and blah, blah, blah. So then they decide 
that the uh, best course of action would be to sit in a van and try to trace a call from Ghostface. You know, something that they've tried in the previous movies and failed at. Mindy and Chad note that, like, their uncle died in a van and Kirby doesn't even seem to be, like, privy to that information. She seems very bad at her job, honestly. Um, <laughs> but... Sam and Tara are walking around and they, they take a call from Ghostface and Kirby like uh, traces the call and they know that he is uptown with Gail Weathers. A little bit too close to uh, my current address, frankly. The, the address that was on screen, I'm like, oh my god, no, he's near. <laughs> he's near. He's within 50 blocks of me. Um, but uh, then we see Gail in her very posh uh, apartment with her very hunky boyfriend uh, and the boyfriend gets a call from a guy who says he's the killer so of course Gail takes the phone um, and she's you know just trying to keep Ghostface on the line basically but he's like killed her boyfriend like in the room behind her and she doesn't even notice right um, and eventually she gets the idea to like just like hang up and immediately like redial and so she like hears the ringing and then like shoots at it and you kind of think she's got him but then he like gets her and stabs her like a lot but they take her away on a gurney so I don't think she's fucking dead she's not back for this movie she even tells Sam and Tara she's like don't tell Sydney he got me don't don't tell her that I've died like she can't she can't come back but it's like I don't know, Gail, are you going to pull through? But I don't know. She has a weak pulse, so there's still a pulse. <laughs> there's still hope. But yeah, so now they decide they're going to fucking lure the killer into the death trap and kill him. So they all get onto a crowded subway at 96th Street, and it's so crowded, and it's Halloween, and half the people are wearing masks or costumes, and that's kind of fun because different people have, like, cool costumes on. But, um... Uh, like half the group loses track of each other, um, or actually just like Mindy and Ethan, the, uh, like Chad's creepy roommate, uh, they get stuck on the subway platform. They're not able to make it on with everyone else. Um, but you know, Mindy does not trust this kid at all and keeps telling him to go away. Um, and Chad, Sam, Tara, and Danny are all on a subway, like surrounded by people. And you know, some of them have ghost face masks on and the lights are flickering and it's very creepy and Mindy is on the next train, and eventually she, you know, gets stabbed a couple times, and Ethan finds her, and, you know, she's like, damn, I was, I was wrong again, wrong about the killer, um, but the thing is, is it's like, subways are so scared, like, she was leaned up against the thing, like, you know, the door, the doors adjoining the cars, like, there's nothing scarier than when you hear that thing click open, like, it's a jump scare every time, like, you could have used that, I, like, I don't understand. Like, like Ghostface would absolutely be hiding between the train cars. Are you kidding me? And I feel like it's like one of those weird corny things where it's like you can't even show that in a movie because it's like dangerous and people aren't supposed to walk between the train cars. But it's like everyone does it all the time. <laughs> so like, why would you not? I don't know. It's so scary. Like what? <sighs> this whole scene in a subway car and you didn't even like utilize the scariest parts of being on a subway. But whatever it's okay I'll write my own movie um but yeah so they're in this they're in this shrine to the stab movies and um they think that Mindy and Ethan are on the train right behind them but they're not um so Kirby leads them in but she quickly goes missing and then Chad gets killed and Chad gets killed by 
this is something that we've never had before. New content alert. <laughs> we have um, Chad gets killed by both Ghostface at the same time. They both take turns stabbing him and like they each hold an arm out. It's really graphic. It's really sad. I hate it. Um, but yeah, we've never seen both Ghostface in action at the exact same time. And it's like, why not? That's obviously so scary. But um, basically then... The cop shows up. Officer Bailey is his name, which hmm, it's just now occurring to me how much Bailey sounds like Billy, Bailey, Billy. But anyway, um, Kirby shows up and is like, they're like, where the fuck have you been? And she was like, they knocked me out. And then, um, you know, Ghostface shows up behind Officer Bailey and Kirby's like, behind you. But Officer Bailey shoots at Kirby three times right in the chest. So she goes down and then Officer Bailey is just standing there smug and the ghost face stand right next to him. And he's like, yes, you know, like, of course, it's me. It's obviously me. Like, it's the cop. Duh. And the ghost face next to him takes off the mask and it's Ethan, the creepy roommate. They called it from the beginning. He should have never been trusted. But he's wearing Mrs. Loomis's mask, you know, and he shows that to Sam. It's like, hey, this is your grandmother's. <laughs> and then the other ghost face, they they swear to God it's Mindy. But nope, takes off her mask. It's Quinn, the roommate. And they were like, well, you fucking died. Nope, fake out. And that's a good reference to the beginning that they need to do more of. I love the fake out deaths. You know, I. I lie. I love the fake out deaths when they're like actually believable, not like a come back to life zombie type situation or like come back to life two movies later and act like you were alive the whole time. But no, like actually like we framed you. We staged it with fake blood, corn syrup like they used in Carrie, that type shit. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, Quinn's death totally faked, easy to cover up because her dad was a cop and showed up to the crime scene before anyone else. Um, and this kid, Ethan, you know, had just lied about his last name. Um, but what are they all like doing together? <laughs> you know, now that we know that they're all related, like what is the motive? Well, it turns out there is a brother missing and that brother was Richie from the previous movie. Right. So Richie was the film freak who was obsessed with Stab and needed to do the franchise justice and went on a killing spree. And when Sam killed him for doing that and in a way overkilled by stabbing him so, 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 so much and leaving a corpse that like disturbed even his cop father, um, he decided he had to get revenge. So they are the ones that made up the conspiracy theory and spread it online that Sam was actually responsible for the Woodsboro murders the previous year. Now, And they said that, like, it's not enough to just kill you. We also have to kill your reputation. And it's so easy to get people to hate each other online and blah, 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 whatever. So poignant. But, you know, final fight scene. Now we got three ghost face to kill, right? And Tara kills Ethan, stabs him right in the mouth. Uh, Sam kills what's her name shoots her right in the head and then she also kills the cop but not before putting on her dad's fucking ghost face costume and giving him a little ghost face call scare you know to just just build up the tension in the last minutes because you know if I and I that's kind of a thing that I do like about the screen movies is like 
they spend so much time toying with the victims that at the end of the movie, the victims have to turn it around and, and, and toy with the killer just a little bit to give them a taste of their own medicine. And there's almost always a little bit of that, right? Um, but then comes in and stabs him so many times. And the like ghost of her father is like, yes, yes, or something. I don't know. And so, yeah, that's it. But then, of course, you know, fake out Ethan comes back for a second and so fucking who else comes back but Kirby back 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 again baby and she knocks that TV down the same TV that still that killed Stu Stumacher plants it right down on that guy's fucking head so there we have it you know and the core four as I call themselves Mindy Chad uh, Sam and Tara all alive Chad's death was a total fake out once again Mindy little stabbed to the stomach nothing she hasn't taken before all good to go and Courtney Cox will also probably be <laughs> alive for the next movie and Kirby you know she was wearing she was wearing a bulletproof vest we've seen that one before but um yeah so there you have it that is a rundown of all of the screams I've been talking for over two hours I am so sorry um but also you're welcome um <laughs> and i'm interested to see where this little reboot goes but also but also not like i said i think you could have ended it with scream 4 um i feel like it's getting a little bit out of hand since then and um, but it's also like if you're going to keep remaking them there are a lot of things that you could be bringing to the table and i think i've i've <laughs> i perfectly laid out my suggestions um in this episode so anyway i will go back to doing what i do best which is watching movies and I guess I'll leave them making them up to, well, you know, Wes Craven's dead now. So maybe he left a hole that I need to fill. God, I sound, I sound abs, I sound like a ghost face, don't I? Um, okay. Well, um, I would love to hear you guys' thoughts about your fave movies, your fave, uh, killers, your fave motives. You know, I even like made a whole list, like going through all the killers and their motives. And I kind of mentioned this before. It basically falls into either familial or incidental or revenge or we have fame but then we have Richie and Amber who I think they were kind of after fame but were mostly just stab fanatics so like I don't know I guess that might fall under incidental just waiting for a fucking spark I guess to go crazy um but yeah I mean I don't think you can get much better than the original uh Stu Mocker played by Matthew Lillard is just absolutely iconic you know, Billy was also very good and scary. Mrs. Loomis, she was also pretty scary. I liked Jill. I liked Jill from Scream 4, but she could have given me a little bit more. She could have given me a little bit more. I don't know. Emma Roberts, I think she was just holding back, like, just a little, like, just a little bit holding back. And also something about Scream 4, like, the only, like bad thing I really have to say about it is that Sheen there's like a little bit of a filter on it like like first season RuPaul's Drag Race like it's obviously not that bad but it's a little bit of a something and I'm like where's what is happening with that I don't get it um but anyway um I love this franchise so um I'm gonna probably go rewatch the original Scream right now because it doesn't get much better than that but um, I hope you have a great week and hope you are gearing up for Halloween. And yeah, uh, check out the blog, freaksandtreakspod.com. Also, freaksandtreaks on Instagram. Uh, shoot me an email if you feel so inclined. Everything will be in the description. Okay, goodbye.